Need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show, Bachelor News Radio Network, IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment, and WCOM in Carborough and uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. LA Bachelor, we thank you for joining us. Hopefully, we'll have our guests on um, in a minute. Uh, we thank you for being a part of this. Keep in mind, if you do miss any of the broadcast, uh, you can... Check it out on StreamYard as you're checking it out now. And, of course, you can always uh, go to our website for the audio side of this at thebachelornews.airtime.pro, uh, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Again, uh, waiting on um, Quadrigas Bernard Driscoll. He's a, a policy influencer and a federal lobbyist and is a adjunct professor at the George Washington University Graduate School of Political Management, and he is here. And, uh, uh, Professor, we appreciate you coming on as always, sir. Good to see you. L.A., it's always good to be with you. Thank you. Yes, sir. So I wanted to touch a base first on um, the Biden administration, and no surprise that um, the Republican side are trying to really, you know, hinder his administration and getting things done. You still have a lot of bills on the table, uh, and obviously with the events in Afghanistan, uh, some Republicans are calling for impeachment, um, tit for tat, of course, in, in my opinion. But A, will they be successful in that? And B, do they have any grounds for impeachment? Well, again, always a pleasure, L.A., to, to, to be on your, your show. Um, to, to the heart of your question, no, they, they absolutely have no grounds for impeachment and, and B, uh, they will not be successful. If there is only one member of Congress, solely to my knowledge, maybe a handful, but it's Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, from my home state of Georgia, who is leading these impeachment efforts. Um, she absolutely has no, no evidence whatsoever, not only evidence, but she, she has no backing uh, she has no precedent for this. She was the member who was kicked off of a committee for some of her more, more outlandish comments, particularly regarding January 6th. And because she doesn't have uh, any committee assignments, she is doing everything in her power really to distract the work of Congress. Um, of course, we know that Congress, uh, you know, as you mentioned, has a lot of bills in play. 
uh, has a lot of uh, policies that they, they need to work on. And, and there's a lot of actually bipartisan efforts uh, that are taking place. But Marjorie Taylor Greene is, is nothing more than a distraction. And this is exactly what these resolutions for the impeachment of President Biden are as well, distractions. What about the the actual um, specifics as it relates to Afghanistan, the way we left uh, Afghani, uh, the Taliban taking over? Just from that standpoint, in your, in your opinion, do you think he handled it the right way? Well, do I think he handled the right way is a tricky question to begin with. I mean, we have to, for all listeners out there, we have to keep in mind that this war uh, with Afghanistan has been going on for 20 years. And we also have to bear in mind that it was President George Walker Bush who actually took us to Afghanistan. And of course, then President Obama and then President Trump and now President Biden have all inherited this. And the... <clears throat> The call for withdrawal of the troops started actually under President Trump. So Biden is is continuing what the previous administration started. Sure, he could have took a reverse action, but I think that he handled the um, Afghanistan crisis, if you will, to the best of his ability. The reality is it was a no-win situation to begin with. Um, There was absolutely no way that we could continue to stay until the Afghan government gained control without allowing the Taliban in. And, and, you know, I am no expert, frankly, when it comes to foreign policy, so I even hesitate to talk about this. But I I will say that I think generally speaking, it was a a win. It was not a win-win to begin with. And so he is dealing with the cards uh, as best he can that that, uh, he was dealt with. You're just joining us. We're talking with Professor uh, Quadrico and uh, um, uh, Reverend um, uh, Bernard Driscoll. He's a, a policy influencer and federal lobbyist and is on, uh, obviously, a junk professor uh, at the George Washington University Graduate School of Political Management. Um, professor, when you, you look at the uh, situation as it relates to um, the Supreme Court, Um, There's been a lot that's been said about how Chief Roberts has handled the court um, lately. Uh, Some people think in some ways he's lost the court to some of the newer um, justices, uh, 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 Amy Barrett and, and so on and so forth. But with this unprecedented move, I think, uh, in terms of the Texas ban, the abortion ban that went through that it was a 5-4 decision uh, that, you know, uh, Chief Justice Roberts dissented with uh, the other side, but they, it still did not um, pass in terms of blocking Texas from doing what they're doing. We can get into, like, the specifics of this, this abortion rule. I, b- I believe it's four weeks or six weeks uh, um, after that, yeah, and after that, you you can't have the abortion, and there's those ramifications that come down. Um, how significant is this ruling, and what does this do in the long term for Roe versus Wade, which has been around for uh, what, since '73 or something something along those lines? Right, absolutely. Well, 
uh, Ellie, you, you raise a very good point. Uh, the Supreme Court's order, the Supreme Court order on the Texas abortion ban shows really a threat to Roe versus Wade. Uh, the court's conservative conservatives rejected, except for the Chief Justice John Roberts, uh, rejected a compromise from the Chief Justice signaling that they already um, were ready to make significant changes in the half century of the Supreme Court with regard to Jewish prudence that would control a woman's right to an abortion, uh, raising uh, stakes with regard to uh, the Mississippi law, uh, even the, the Texas law. And so what we have now is the second most populous state in the union has the most restrictive abortion law curtailing uh, access for millions of women who, of course, it will, this law literally takes it out of their hands uh, for a woman to have a say in, in reproductive rights in this country. So it, it is certainly significant. It is also certainly a threat to Roe versus Wade. And we will see how this really um, unfold. I think now what the the Congress is attempting to to do is to look at ways um, how they can expand abortion access in response to the Texas law. Speaker Pelosi said today that the House would vote on legislation to guarantee access to abortion once it returns uh, after recess. So clearly this um, the Texas law and, and what the Supreme Court has said with regard to this law is making headwaves uh, nationally and even, and even legislatively to the extent that the speaker is calling for crafting legislation to ensure that um, women's reproductive rights in this country are protected. We will continue to monitor this and see uh, the repercussions of what it may have and the impact that it certainly will have on Roe v. Wade, but also on millions of women across the country. And you have to think too, Doc, that, um, Professor, that most of the country, since the, the Roe Wade decision came down, has been on the side of, you know, we, you know, don't get rid of it and, and people should have, uh, women should have uh, the right mm-hmm. to choose and the right to de- determine their, the, their body. Whether you disagree or not that's what that's what's been on the books so if are you concerned though when you look at the house they're extremely right you know it's not just the uh, representative from your state but there are a lot of other people way to the right um and and this is one of those those kiss uh cases and issues that a lot of people talk about. The House will vote on legislation to guarantee access to abortion upon its return to Washington. Uh, You're absolutely right. I I think that, I mean, this ruling and this law is um, fundamentally a a constitutional assault (laughs) on women's rights, uh, women's rights to reproductive as well as to her health. We, the House you know, there's a narrow majority with, with Democrats. Um, we will see, though unlikely, how this will unfold in the Senate. Uh, but fundamentally, um, it is a, this is a response to how 
this law is impacting women across the country. And again, it, it does jeopardize severely a woman's right to choose. And so uh, with regard to how Republicans and the ultra-conservative states will uh, legislate across the country, how even states in, in my home state, the, the abortion law, um, at the, I think it was the heartbeat abortion law that passed that ultimately died in the courts. We, we will unfortunately see more of these continue across the country. It's going to be incumbent upon Congress, uh, the House, as well as the Senate, as well as General Assemblies, and to take actions within the courts to stop such draconian measures to restrict a woman's right to choose. Yeah, and it, when you, you look at that, I, I often say that men, I really don't care what position of status you're in, really don't have, shouldn't have that type of say uh, on a woman's body. Your, your private beliefs are your private beliefs, but when it comes down to a woman and their decisions, I mean, I, I don't understand why, you know, uh, middle-aged white guys uh, in, in particular with uh, feel like they need to have this. I had some questions. Um, uh, what's your thoughts on DeSantis? Um, very popular in his state, uh, obviously looking to make a run for president, in my opinion. A lot of people, I'm sure you, you've heard that. Um, you know, with the mass laws, we look at Texas, what's going on there. The COVID numbers are going up in, in those particular places. What about these mask laws and some of these conservative uh, Republican states, and how will it affect those running for election, for re-election, and in DeSantis' case, running for president? Well, you know, I'm also a healthcare lobbyist, right. in addition to everything else you mentioned. And I, I had a conversation with a researcher and a physician, a clinician, uh, on Monday with regard to these um, these mask on mandates, right? Um, I politically understand uh, DeSantis as well as Governor Abbott's decision to, it, well, let me say, I don't understand. <laughs> I do not understand their right. I understand, however, that they're pandering to a certain electorate, a certain electorate that don't believe that COVID-19 is real, a certain electorate that believes that they shouldn't even be vaccinated. And, and thus, they want the freedom um, to, to not to wear masks. Uh, politically, I understand all of that. What I think they are failing to understand is that they are further putting uh, the country and the world at greater risk. We know, of course, that there, there is a Delta variant. But what we don't know is that there is also a Lambda variant and a Gamma variant. And those two variants, particularly the gamma variant, which is, I think, the other parts of the world hasn't quite reached the states yet, the, the lambda variant has, we are approaching this apocalyptic viral state. Because I understand from what conversations with researchers and scientists is that the gamma variant are killing people within three days of catching it. And it is all because people refuse to be vaccinated. They refuse to get vaccinated. And so these laws do not help. And unfortunately, we are moving towards a biomedical nanny state 
which I will give some credence to those who don't want to wear masks and don't want to be vaccinated, because I do believe that it is your fundamental right to get sick and die if that is your choice. But, however, it should not come at the expense of jeopardizing others. If we equate this to smoking, we know, of course, 40, 50 years ago, smoking was pretty much legal everywhere. You could smoke in restaurants, uh, movie theaters, etc. Of course, through series of research and studies, we have found out that smoking causes lung cancer. Lung cancer disproportionately affects people of color, particularly black men, etc., at the rates of death. As a result, we have, outlawed, we have outlawed smoking in most places in this country, and even in those places where smoking is legal, you are reg- regulated to a certain section, whether it's at the airport, you're regulated outside, or a certain box that confines those who choose to smoke. It's the same way with the vaccine. It is a public health crisis. And what these people also, particularly Governor Santez and Governor Abbott of Texas, don't understand is what it means to be in right community with each other. Even if it is your choice not to be vaccinated, it is your choice to protect others from being affected. Thus, if you don't want to be vaccinated, at least have a common decency and respect for others to be in right community to wear a mask. These people don't even want to do that. So I applaud a lot of corporations, a lot of restaurants, a lot of bars, gyms, etc., that are saying you cannot come into our establishment. You can't even go to work unless you are vaccinated or you have negative COVID test results. Because unfortunately, it's getting and it has gotten to that point that corporations have to force their hands and jobs have to force their hands in order for us to be safe and to protect our own health. You know, I know we're running out of time. Just two quick things. A comment is, uh, you know, everybody talks about, you know, freedom of speech. Well, freedom of speech is not always free. You can't go in a movie theater and yell fire in the middle of it. That could be dangerous and you can get in trouble for that. Well, your rights are not always free, too. When they infringe what people that don't want to vaccinate and where masks forget that it's, it's affecting um, other people. And I think it's very careless, very uh, disrespectful, and no real um, caring for your fellow man or, or your kids. Like, if you don't want to wear a mask or get vaccinated, keep your you-know-what home. But don't come around me. And that's that's really where it is on that debate. One final question I wanted to, or it was a comment I want to get your thoughts on before we go. Uh, the uh, uh, Thais said, if I could find it again, oh, this is the prime example why uh, the Biden administration must expand the Supreme Court. I guess you're talking about Roe Wade and some of the other things are coming on. And, you know, like we said, with the House, it's going very extreme, right? We mm-hmm. see what's going on with Judge Amy Barron and others that are going to that side as well. So what do you think about Biden expanding the Supreme Court? Well, you know, President Biden has already said that he does not wish to uh, expand the Supreme Court. I know that the narrative, particularly on the far left, is out there that we need to expand the Supreme Court. But again, we, I think we also need to consider the consequences of expansion of the Supreme Court. Because if in the, in the event there is a Republican president at the, the next election or the next couple elections in the near future, we have to consider what uh, the outcomes of, of uh, that will be as well. So, yes, it it might seem prudent and perhaps even advantageous 
for President Biden to expand the, the Supreme Court. But we also have to think about the long-term consequences of when there will be a Republican president and then, of course, more nominations happening. Uh, there, have all, there have already been calls for, uh, I think, Justice Byer, uh, uh, if, if I'm perhaps butchering Byer. his name, yeah, thank Byer. you, <laughs> yeah, to, to step down uh, given his age. Uh, I think, you know, justices are, are they, they are taught to have this cult of the robe ideology, which means that they are taught not to necessarily be political. Uh, we know that that is a myth. Uh, we know that there were talks about that uh, perhaps Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg should have also stepped down um, so that, uh, but again, I don't think that the president will uh, expand the Supreme Court. Uh, he's already articulated. And, and again, as, as I said, we have to consider the long-term implications of what expanding the Supreme Court would mean when there is a Republican president. Yeah, and, you know, uh, it's, it's the same thing when it comes to the filibuster. It, it, you know, uh, what's out of Nevada, he put it in place. I can't think of the senator's name. He's long retired, but... Um, and Harry then, Reed. Yeah, Harry Reid. So now you're going back and forth, and should you keep it? Should you get rid of it? And and both sides says, okay, be careful. Be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. Right. Uh, Professor, before you go, let people know how they can reach out to you and follow you. I know you do uh, quite a lot of uh, articles uh, out there as well. Yes. So you're, if you're willing to, to, to follow me, uh, you can follow me at Twitter, which is Q underscore Driscoll, D-R-I-S-K-E-L-L-4. Again, that's Q underscore Driscoll 4. Well, Professor, as always, man, I appreciate you, and I appreciate you coming on on short notice, man. Thank you so much. You be well, okay? No worries. Thank you, L.A. You too. Thanks, Professor. He is Professor... familiar with that music you know what time it is that's usually the locker talk with Barry Barnes and you know he's graced us with his presence he is the host <laughs> of locker talk with Barry Barnes it airs every single Friday morning for God knows Barry been with us for a while uh, at 9 a.m. Eastern time my man doing his thing the folks if you want to know about not just the NFL and the inside of the NFL, but the smaller schools and the HBCUs that are getting drafted, that are playing, that are making prosper, uh, uh, you know, progress in the league, you need to listen to Locker Talk with Barry Bonds. On the line, patiently waiting, is the one and only Barry Barnes. <laughs> and Barry, listen, I appreciate your patience, man, hanging on the line. I won't hold you long because I know you got stuff to do. But thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you, Joe. Man, it's an honor always coming on the show to talk about all that good stuff, including Tom Brady. We got them into, you know. Oh, Tom see, Brady no, we ain't well. say no. <laughs> we ain't say nothing about no Tom Brady. See, you was good. Oh, okay. I'm and you meant okay. So we're gonna leave <laughs> Tom Terrific to the side over here. We're gonna leave him on the, on the right yes, side. We're gonna go back to the left. 
right? We'll leave him over yes, there. <laughs> but no, yes, seriously, Absolutely. congratulations. Congratulations. I know you're a Brady fan. He won. Congratulations. He, 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 they won. Uh, cheated. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but anyway. So. <laughs> I love you, Barry. But, but listen. Oh, man, I love you too, man. Thank um, you for letting me come on, buddy. Listen, when you when you look at uh, you heard the the previous interview about the HBCUs doing what they need to do, making sure oh, that the f- facilities are right, making sure that the SIDs are putting forth um, those things, making sure that there's someone in that family, in the Barnes family, let's say, because your your son played, and you know that wants to play linebacker, that the videos out there on YouTube and People have access. The NFL has access. What do you say to HBCUs to, to to do a better job to make sure our black kids are are getting our information out? So I mean, you know, one percent of the, the players make it to the NFL anyway. But if you have those aspirations, what do you? What are the steps and things they need to do to make sure that those things are out there for us to get our kids out there to have a shot? Well, uh, first of all, it's always an honor and pleasure to come on this show, so thanks a lot for having me on. Um, when it comes down to HBCU, a lot of times uh, they really frustrate me and it really piss me off because they're not doing right. Um, HBCU is very powerful, and I, and I understand that academia is important, you know, to show, you know, to our white, you know, brothers and sisters and counterparts that we suggest as intelligent um, to do what they do on the professional level. But when it comes down to athletics, collectively, HBCUs kind of look down on professional athletes and, and that, that profession. And so that's why we don't see them collectively putting into their facilities. I mean, not feeding the players properly and you know, not being able to showcase their talented players, you know, like you mentioned on YouTube. You know, I heard what Fred was talking about, how he's trying to get in contact with Fayetteville State. You know, it, it's a true fact. You, you contact these guys to try to talk to some of their players. You can never get a hold of no one. They don't know the players' information. Everything is its a joke when it comes down to their players. Uh, when people say that HCCU is not getting a lot of money, um, I'm going to bump against that because they do receive money. They just don't put it into their sports. I mean, Morgan State University putting up all kinds of buildings around, you know, up and down around their campus, and yet you go into their weight room, their weight room is not bigger than my living room and dining room and kitchen put together. So the money is there. They just refuse to put into it wow. um, on in all over, you know, in, in, in all bases. You know, you can't you can't treat the players, your, your student athletes, like regular students, shutting down the cafeteria, knowing they're still practicing, and then next thing you know, they gotta um, fend for themselves to get something to eat after they finish practicing. You know, you have play, you know, schools like Shaw University. They have to work outside on a basketball court and bring the weights out there because their room is too small to work out on. So it's a lot on the institutions. They have to put themselves in a position to make their players look good because if I was an NFL scout, I would not come to an HBCU school because they they are not putting things in place so that the players can get better over a time period and they have to stop always wanting to play, you know, put their kids out there on the field, playing against the power conferences, you know, and then all of a sudden you have a situation where I have a young man that got paralyzed a few years ago from Southern University going up against right. Georgia because these guys cannot compete on that level and just only make, you know, not even a million dollars just to show up. And when they get that money, 
they don't even put that into their sports program. So they got to stop sacrificing these young men, put them on an even playing field, get the facilities together, treat them properly so that these guys can actually mature into their bodies and then be able to put a, a solid product on, on the field. And then, by, you know, and then a couple of years later, when they show consistency, that's when we start seeing more players getting looked at. Yeah, I, I know you're short on time, so what I'm going to do is I want to do a part two on Monday if we can. can we'll talk off air about that. So I um, I agree with you. I, I won't say all the uh, HBCUs, but you and I had this conversation. You're exactly right. I mean, I can I can go off air and say a bunch of different uh, places um, that are not living up to. I want to just to kind of quickly, let's just do the AFC, and we'll do NFC when you come back on, uh, in terms of who you think is going to win the division. AFC South, Tennessee with the the Wentz incident. And I'm, I mean, uh, Tennessee with the, uh, the 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 team poised to win with Julio Jones. Colts with the uh, Wentz thing. Uh, Houston is a mess. Jacksonville with a new coach, new quarterback. Who wins that division? Well, I would go with the Titans. And now there's uncertainty with the quarterback position for Indianapolis Colts. Indianapolis, you know, they stacked across the board. They have everything: offensive line, defense, you know, secondary, a running game. They finally got a running game that came to uh, came to life last year. They just a quarterback away to really, really making you know the steps forward to at least be competitive during the postseason. But right now, Tennessee Titans definitely will run away with that division. You look at Buffalo, everybody's picking them. Miami should be better. New England, we don't know what their quarterback situation and the Jets with a, a new quarterback uh, out of BYU. Who wins that division? Uh, uh, definitely leaning towards Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo is definitely you know that that team that's that's right there. A couple of mistakes here and there on the defense. I like I like the signing that they had with Terrell Adams when they brought him over. And then uh, F.A. over they brought over for the um, Carolina Panthers. You know, they all they needed was being more consistent in getting to the quarterback. And by bringing those guys over, it's going to help them out tremendously. I would love to say the Jets, because the Jets have about five players from the regionals, regionals who I promote to help get into the NFL. So that, that's, that's, the, that's my dog horse. I would love to see the Jets. But right now the Bills definitely is that team with that Miami Dolphins, you know, that still have some uncertainty with the quarterback position as well, but definitely the Bills definitely is that team for that division. And when we have you on next week, I want to do all the regional uh, combine players, the guys you think are going to be an impact, and then in the draft. AFC West, Chiefs are the team to beat. I don't think the Raiders will be good. The Chargers, we'll see with their their young quarterback. The Broncos are stacked defensively. Who wins that division? Um, Right now I would say the Chiefs, but it's, it's not going to be as easy. I'm telling you, the Chargers, man, you know, that is, Maybe with probably another year because they do, they will have a rookie head coach there, but with Justin Herbert, what he did last year, and knowing that they made a lot of mistakes towards the end, and a lot of those games that they had lost was based off of inexperience. If they have their experienced guys, you know, work with these young guys and be ready to play better situational football, they can at least be a challenge midway during the season for the Chiefs. But I do eventually see the Chiefs definitely uh, walking away from that. And I saved my Steelers division, the North for last. Steelers won it. They, they, they tanked at the end, lost to the Browns. Baltimore, great defense. Let's see what Lamar's going to do. Browns look really good on paper on both sides of the ball. See what the quarterback is doing. The Bengals, I mean, they're getting healthy. So who wins that division? Um, I would say the Browns. Um, they, you know, they, that's that team that I think can challenge the Chiefs this year, getting to the Super Bowl from the AFC. Definitely like the Browns, how they balance 
even in their special teams. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that team. As long as they continue to play better situational football, that secondary had to get better. It did get better. That was the Achilles heel for the last two years, especially last year. So I think after what they had experienced last year, they will have the confidence when they start this season off. But I definitely see the Browns um, um, getting that right, division, right. but it's going to be late. It's going to be late in the, um, in the season, I mean, for them to, like, really take it away because no telling what the, the Ravens are going to do. You know, the Steelers, you know, I'm a believer in the Steelers. And Cincinnati may pull up a couple of surprises. Yeah, and you, it, this is the first year I could tell you, because I follow your picks, that you haven't picked my Steelers. So that means that's a bad omen for us. We're in trouble. If you ain't picked no, Pittsburgh, no, no, you pick the press. I mean, no, I mean, no, no, I, I'm not. That's not against you. I'm just saying we we're in trouble. Is what I'm saying. It's not against you. Your pick is we uh-huh. in trouble. <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't I mean, the Steelers not gonna be. They're not gonna be horrible. Trust me. That 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 organization, they're gonna still win. They still have a winning record this year. It's just that they was gonna make sure they continue to keep Ben Roethlisberger upright. Because that's the key, of course. You know, with any, you know, with any team. But knowing that he still can throw the ball, knowing he do have some talent out there, I just say keep your eyes out on Tyler Simmons. If this young man make that team, he's going to be a good slot guy to watch out for. So watch out for guy number uh, 82, or Tyler Simmons. I think that he'll be a surprise if uh, if he make this team. I like him. I like him uh, already. I've been, of course, I've been following it, so I do like him. And then next week we want to get into all the players, and we'll do a uh, the uh, NFC. But Barry, be careful, man. I appreciate your time. I know you got to run. And thanks for coming on, bro. Every time, superstar. Thanks a lot, my friend. I'll talk to you Monday.
desert You're the talent all I take when my head hurts You're the sunshine of my life I just want to see how beautiful you are You know that I see it I know you're a star Where you go I'll follow Life is a movie, and you're the best part. Oh, you're the best part. Oh, best part. If you love me, won't you say something? If you love me, won't you? Won't you? If you love me, won't you say something? If you love me, won't you? If you love me, won't you say something? If you love me, won't you? If you love me, won't you say something? If you love me, won't you? Love me, won't you? If you love me, won't you say something? If you love me, won't you? If you love me, won't you say something? If you love me, won't you? And welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. We thank them for broadcasting this, WCOM in Richmond, Virginia, IBM TV. And you can watch the show on Big My Entertainment on Amazon, Roku, and Fire Stick. I'm L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for joining us, as always, uh, on the broadcast. I want to go uh, straight to my guest. He is a licensed therapist and, of course, uh, host of A Dose of the Dime with Yanni. It airs every Friday morning at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. That's Connecticut time um, here on the Bathroom News Radio Network. And I want to bring in Yanni. Hey, Yanni, I appreciate you coming on, as always. What's up? What's up? Hola, mommies and poppies. It's Yadier DJ and Dan Ducky with Mr. L.A. Let's get it. Sound like you're in a spaceship somewhere, so we're going to work with that. Um, I I wanted to bring you on because I wanted to talk about, uh, I'm sure you heard and and read about the uh, Simone Bias story where she decided that in the best interest of her, right, herself and her mental state, that she withdrew from some of the competition at the Olympics in Tokyo, which also is a selfless move in regards to being a good teammate. I'm in the air flipping, and I'm forgetting where I'm at. This is not only not going to help me and injure me, but it's also going to help, I mean, going to hurt the team. Um so I wanted to get your thought first about that, how she handled it, um, the negative feedback she got, but she did get a lot of love as well in this this era that we call social media. Okay, so first and foremost, let's get to the big Unfortunately, what I tell my kids, I do recognize I tell my kids and I tell my children that we have to be ten times better than other children. And I'm talking about us melanated children have to be ten times better than the other children in order for us to get barely any recognition. So when we found 
when we mess up, when we, you know, get in trouble, it's ten times worse. I mean, we, we saw the same thing with some issues with Bill, you know. Um, he did not get nearly any of the backlash that some of our athletes have gotten on this Tucky one. I mean, we're not just talking about the mountain. We're also talking about, you know, um, uh, I forgot the sister's name, but the, the runner. She got backlash. A lot of it. Wanting her to even drop out of the Olympics. But for what? Why, why is it that we have to be the best of the best of the best and they can be mediocre and mediocre? Yeah, I, I just want to uh, let you know I'm um, mute you for a second because we're we're getting a lot of feedback and some of uh, what you're saying is is muffled. But you're right uh, if you can adjust that. But you're right that we have to be better. You had to teach your and tell your children had to have that conversation. I had to do the same and continue to do it. And and certainly other parents are are doing it now, not just because of of incidents like this where social media goes crazy, the social media era, but also in the the dangers of society. You know, we, as you and I know, the police brutality and the things, um, women and, and men of color being killed for just on the base of that is crazy. But, you know, with, with Simone coming out and saying this, it, it really speaks to her, not just her courage, and I'm using that word, and a lot of people who are just sports people and and like Laura Ingram said, just dribble the ball, damn it, and don't talk about issues. Um, those who are always going to have their issues with our athletes in particular should see the courage, not only because of her stepping away because of her illness, but this is a young lady that's strong. She her college coach, her gymnast coach, um, committed horrible, heinous sexual advancements and acts on her, and still she worked through that, still working through that. I'm sure you're a therapist. She's, I'm sure she's still working through that, but also performed at a high level, setting that aside, being a team player again in the midst of that. So she could have folded then, Yanni, um, from that experience, and here she is. She gets through that. She makes it to be arguably, I believe, the greatest gymnast of all time, at least in the United States. And she's mm-hmm. going through this. So she doesn't get the credit. How much of that also speaks to um, the fact that she's a black female as well? That the fact that you know, had this been a, a guy, you know, we're patting him on the back and talking about the strength and the courage and his focus to get through it and all, all these other things, but here it is, Simone Bias, and it's a different story. Well, okay, so the one thing that I do know about um, majority of us black women, I never try to speak in generalities. That's a thing that I won't ever do, but the majority of us are resilient, if nothing else. So, yes, Sister Girl went through a lot of trauma, a lot of um, – Definitely some some very, very difficult times, but she found that love and that space for the things that she wanted to do. Having that trauma does not take from the fact that she's an amazing athlete. Having that trauma does not take from the fact that she loves what it is that she does, and she's good at it. And so 
that for me, for instance, and I know this has nothing to do, but I'm going to relate it back. Um, going through my divorce, I love dance. When I went through my divorce, I was teaching dance at least four times a day because I needed to find a space where I could be safe and feel safe, and it was when I danced. So having her come back out and show out, it, it was, yes, it is phenomenal. It is awesome. But, yeah, I, I expected nothing less. I expected nothing less because of the fact that she, you know, us as black women, we are resilient. And when we find our coping skill, we find that thing that we love, we find that thing that makes us glow, we, we cling to that. And, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, we've, we've heard it all before. There's a lot of um, people that will say, you know, that black women are the most underrated women on the face of the earth, and we're the most underprotected Um I saw a post today, and obviously this has nothing to do with the Olympics, but I saw a post today, and it made me think about it. Um, she asked, she was asking women of different ethnicities, not, not women of color. She wanted any other um, ethnicity of women, white women, um, um, Asian women, anything but a black. And she asked, has any man ever asked them what they brought to the table? Has that ever been a discussion? Because she wanted to make a point that, for us, it is always us getting asked what it is that we bring to the table. But we don't see that being asked of any other race or any other culture. And the overwhelming response was, no, that question doesn't come up. So why is that always a thing for us? Why do we have to prove and overprove and prove again that we are not, not just that we're worth because we're worth it just because we're here, but why, that we are good, we are great. We are good. Why do we have to prove that? that that's a, that's a, a whole hidden trauma that we probably need to eventually talk about together. That's a great uh, a point and great uh, point of conversation as well. Uh, if you're just joining us, we'll talk with Yanni Knox of Adults of Dine, of course, that airs every Friday morning at 938. Uh, 930 Eastern on the Bachelor News Radio Network here and WCOM. Yoni, when you look at this taboo, this mentality, is it more, I, I, I just thought about it, and, and when the negative, the naysayers are always going to be there, regardless of any issue or topic or discussion. There's always going to mm-hmm. be someone negative and this and that. So I came to expect that when she pulled out, especially, again, from people who just look at it through the lens of sports. Just go play. I don't care about you having problems. I want to win. I want you to win gold for the United States. Um, but the other part of it is that this, this stigma, society in general, but, but more specifically the, the people of color, that we can't have these conversations in our communities, in our households. We can't talk. I'm stressed. I need someone to talk to. It may not mean you're going to go out and shoot up, God forbid, the whole place, but you just, you're fatigued. you got weight on the world and all that stuff. Why is that? Is it more of society just kind of, of putting this, this label on people are they're just bonkers because they're, you know, fatigued mentally? Or is it because it's just a, a sort of a, uh, going back to a sort of a testosterone thing where, you know, everybody's got to be tough and you can't do this. And what well, what is it the reason why, especially when it comes to athletes and, and people of color specifically? I feel like um, a lot of it, and not just athletes, I feel like a lot of this comes from generational trauma. Um, 
and hear me out when I say this for those of you who don't know what generational trauma is. So our people, most of our, most of our people were not born in America. We were brought here via um, the slave trade Congo, okay? So with that being said, there, like spankings are also a generational, it was a help for when our um when we were all in slavery, because no master, you don't have to whip our children. Look, we're going to whip them for you so that they don't kill them. So I feel like a lot of us were taught to stifle our emotions, to stifle our cries for help, to um, hold whatever you have going on, and that would be considered your dirty laundry. And as you already know, we don't ever air our dirty laundry. And it's been like a societal thing a cultural thing that has kind of stayed with us throughout history. And we're not even going to go into how Gen X, you know, I, I, I don't know if you are Gen X. I think, I think you might be a boomer, right? Right, L.A.? Uh, but how Gen X is, um, <laughs> how Gen X was um, kind of, we were the original latchkey kids. You know, we didn't get that space to, if something went wrong, we had to figure it out ourselves. We did not dare call our mom, call our dad. And I'm, just, I'm not talking just about culturally this time. At this point, it is a whole generation of ex-generation people who stifle their feelings and don't talk about the things that are going on because, you know what, we got a job to do, so let's get this job done to hold that together because, God forbid, you contacted somebody to help you. It meant that you couldn't do your job. Or for children, it meant that, you know, if if you if it was something that was easy and you couldn't figure it out, you're now going to get in trouble. So we learn how to stifle and figure stuff out on our own. So it is a generation teaching generation teaching generation that, no, you figure this out on your own. You don't tell other people what's going on in your house. It's dirty laundry. You don't air that. And as far as what I call the social media paparazzi, they, it, it is literally people sitting on their behinds who don't know much about anything. They hear, well, why does she get to stand what's going on? It's always somebody sitting on their behind, doesn't know anything about the sport, but they hear these stories and they go off because of what happened to them and they made it through. But you don't understand the level of scrutiny that, and, and precision that these, these athletes have to go through in order to perform at their best at the Olympics. And how much, again, we go back to the stifling, stifling of all of that emotion, of all of that, you know, they power through the pain. That is an everyday thing for them. So it's, it's only, what, real that they power through their emotional pain. And it was good that she did what she did. Hopefully she can be an example to other people that you should talk about and step out and be upfront with what it is that's going on with you. You know, I mean, Barbara and, and Florida uh, mentioned the social media. Um, if, if more people focused on the positive on social media, some of this would go away. I don't know what this means, what she said. I hope that she'll well, hit that again. Well, I mean, she's just making, like, a comment, like, you know, if people would just focus on the positives of the story as opposed to digging apart the negatives, that society would be a better place. I agree with that. But the problem is is that it's too easy to focus on the negative. I, I always do this exercise when I'm teaching a, parent, a parenting class because 
focusing on negative is so easy. Focusing on positive actually takes time. I ask people to close their eyes and focus on something positive, something positive that happened today. And I, I see a few smiles. It takes a few minutes, and that's good. But then I say, okay, now let's think about something negative that happened today. Almost immediately, almost immediately, there's groans, there's grunts, there's, oh, my God, it's so easy because negative is in your face. Negative, everybody can identify with. And so when people feel entitled, like, for instance, um, well, she didn't go through what I went through. I went through full-fledged rape. Well, okay, it doesn't make her trauma any less than yours just because what happened to you may have been physically more assertive. Trauma hits people on different levels. Depression hits people on different levels. And when you have people that are holding you accountable for your actions, like your team is counting on you to be 100% and you're not, what do you do? Isn't it the honorable to bow out? I mean, I'm with that. Something to be said, what Barbara said and, and what you're, you're pointing out. I mean, on your show and even in uh, our conversations, either via tech or call, hell, I called you last week. You were doing an exercise class or something. I mean, all you, you, it's all positive vibes. And, you know, we don't know how people are in their private times all the time, but it, you exude the positive. And, and, and that's the point she's making as well. So it, how much of the, the negative of, plays a part in the message, you and other therapists, and, we're, you know, the topic is, is athletes that are trying to tell their story to bring forth people to, to get help or, or talk to someone. How much of the negative and the, the fake news, that term, because, you know, social media could be our best friend. It could be our worst enemy if, if you don't do the research. And like you said, positive is easy. Um, getting the, 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 I mean, negative is easy to, to, to follow. Positive takes some work. Um, to, to believe something positive. So how much of the fake news and, and some of that negative uh, spin out there uh, sort of blocks what you're trying to do in terms of helping your, your, your clients, your patients, and, and athletes coming out to talk about their stories? Well, I try to tell my kiddos um, and my, um, my clients to, honestly, I don't look at the news. I do not look at the news. The majority of it I get from social media, and I will click on an article that I want to read if I'm interested in it. And the reason why I don't do that is because the news um, and a lot of these social media platforms, um, especially the ones that you can just roll on and it just plays, are designed to feed your fear. They're designed to feed your um, hatred. They're designed to get you hooked in emotionally. And, again, we just talked about it. The easiest way to get you hooked in emotionally is to talk about something negative, something that somebody is scared of. And immediately somebody's hooked in. Oh, what's going on? Yeah, fear, hate, activity, that breeds. It breeds, and that's how they get you hooked in. And unfortunately, to catch ratings or to, for whatever reason, to get you to click on their website, that's how they do it. Now, for me, I always tell my kiddos and, and um, my, um, my clients, you want to be careful of those people that openly choose positivity and happiness. Most of us that openly choose to live our life positive and openly choose to live our life in a happy manner have been through hell. And we got there 
we got to this positive place by openly choosing to be happy, to choose the positive over the negative, and it does not happen overnight. It is a continuous battle. Because, and I talk about um, this with my kids. There is a there's a, a continuum, like a circle, um, and I feel like everybody wakes up at different points on the circle. So if you're having a positive self-esteem day, you wake up on a, on the far side of the circle, and that's good. But there are going to be days you wake up on a, on the other side of the circle where you're not feeling so hot. It is going to happen. It always happens, and it's unfortunate. And those are the days that you have to openly choose positivity. You have to openly choose to make yourself feel better and openly choose to um, treat yourself just a little better before you go into anything else. Because when you, those people who have been through hell, like myself, um, get into that negative spiral, it can be devastating and damaging for everyone around them. So that is why they openly choose positivity in all of these things. Well, just to follow up with that, um, you know, Jerry said, um, you know, the reason why um, reality TV works is because people want to see, you know, people having issues like they have. And, and he brought up NASCAR crashes and stuff. And he's actually right. NASCAR, people watch NASCAR a lot. Uh, the, the numbers show not for the race, but for the crashes. They want to see destruction wow. and, and negative <laughs> and stuff, uh, which is crazy. But, they, I mean, the, the, the stats don't lie. Um, but just to follow what you said, I mean, take, for instance, if, if you're going to be – you mentioned being careful about people who are just taking all the positive. I mean – then how do you decipher between, you know, the the good and the bad in those those instances? You know, case in point, you may have a, a pastor that, you know, teaches, you know, revelation. If you know the scriptures, you know, doom and gloom, going to hell, burning to hell, that kind of thing. Or, or a guy like Joel Osteen that talks about God's love all the time. So, I mean, what do you choose? You choose the person that's going to be like, well, if you don't do this, you're going to get this. Or you choose the other one saying, well, everything's lovely if you just do this. I mean, it, it, as it relates to getting that message out, how do you decipher that? Ooh, okay. So... I always try to tell people to remain within balance. And you kind of uh, misunderstood what I was saying about those of us that choose positivity. When I say we choose positivity, we have the tendency to go off. We could go off, but we choose positivity. I'm talking about those people. Now, there is a trait called toxic positivity, (laughs) but those people use it in a very different manner, okay? So let's go back to your question. Your question was how do you – when you're feeding yourself, when you're you're going into your religious practice or your spiritual practice, what is best for you? And I would always go back to that your spirit knows better than you can ever know. So if it feels right within your spirit, what it is that you're doing, if it feels right within your spirit, what it is that you're hearing, if it brings you joy, if it makes you feel good, then continue doing that. Do not ever go to a space where when you go, and you're supposed to be getting sad when you're doing religious work, if you're going to a space where um, you feel fearful, or like I better do this, or I better repent, or I you feel fearful, or you feel like, you know, you're not doing the right thing and it doesn't feel good within your spirit and you don't feel like you're in a positive space, that is not a space for you to be in because what we know for sure is what we feel passionate about, we're bringing more of that to us. So be in a space 
Trust your intuition. If you feel good in your space at the moment, and I don't mean copping out and drugs and alcohol, all that. I mean, if you genuinely feel good in a space, there's laughter, there's joy, you feel genuinely happy about what's going on, then that is the space that you need to be in, okay? Mm. That That's what I would say about that. And, and thanks for the clar- clarification. We're talking with Yanni Knox, a licensed therapist and host of A Dose of a Dime. Uh, we'll allow her at the end to get into her practice and and about her show even more. So the the beginning of this whole interview and conversation was about athletes coming out like Simone did and others using their voice for good, uh, even mm-hmm. if it, it doesn't look good and feel good even in cases and knowing they're going to get blowback or LeBron James or others that may come out in different platforms or different issues um, for the sake of the public and the public to, to learn that it's okay to, to talk about this and seek, you know, conversations. Um, with all that being said, how impactful, if any, these powerful athletes that have these millions of followers on Twitter and all these other places, how much of their voice really makes a change, can make a change, and having people feel comfortable in their space, like you said, um, to talk about their illness, their stress, whatever they're going through, uh, to, to, to get that help? Well, I applaud people that stand on their platform and they use it for the good of the people. I I applaud that in every way, shape, or form. And for those people who might be experiencing what's going on with them, they normalize it. So not just I'm getting abused, but it looks like, oh, my God, LeBron James got abused as well, too. So, okay, so I'm not an evil person. Because that's what happens when you go into these situations with these people that have been abused or they've been traumatized. They believe that they deserve it because of whatever it is they did. They were born evil. They were this. They were that. When somebody uses their platform to say, no, no, you are okay. This happened to me. And, And we, you know, it is okay to say this happened and it is okay to go get help. They normalize it for those people who may be struggling, and I am 100% for that type of behavior. However, because everybody has an opinion, because everybody has, you know, um, uh, not everybody's going to agree, and of course, because some people are abusers, they're going to disagree, and there will always be lashback. It doesn't matter how how positive um, the speaker is or how positive the message is, it's not happy with it. And unfortunately, you're just going to have to overlook them and keep pushing forward and pushing the positive message because somebody needs to hear that. And I'm, I applaud anybody that uses their platform to do that. And, Tom, uh, speaking of someone's always going to have something to say, Tom writes in and says he, he um, understands that Simone was abused in college by the college coach, but um, could this just be her just being tired? And, I, you know, I, but you can't really get into it. Yoni, you can't get into a person's head. If she's saying she's mentally uh-huh. fatigued or stressed, isn't that what it is? That you got to take the person for, you know, their word is bond. Yeah, uh, anxiety affects everybody differently. Uh, it is it is a 
ugly, ugly thing. And a little bit of self-disclosure, uh, I had a situation where one of my abusers attacked, you know, uh, contacted me the other day, and it did not affect me until two days afterwards, and my chest felt like it was ready to explode. Even though I know how to do my coping skills, and I'm very effective at it, and I'm very good at choosing happiness, it of uh, anxiety, stress, tension, trauma affects everybody differently. And I'm a pro at it. Not a pro. That's not true. We're not going to do that. But I have worked my coping skills to the point where I know when I'm okay and I know when I'm not. And so me me saying that, oh, my God, I feel this tension in my chest. And even I related it to one of the clients I was seeing at the time. Hey, let's breathe together because I'm having a hard time. We don't know what that girl is going through. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you. We don't know exactly what's going on. We may she may see the bar and see her abuser. We don't know. Right. We may, she may do a flip and she may hear his voice or I don't know whatever the trainer was, their voice in her head, and that might and, make and her falter. Yeah, you only she. I mean, for God's sake, she said she forgot where she was when she was in the air. Ooh, I mean, yeah. That's the thing. That's the thing. That's the thing. That's. I mean, she could have injured herself drastically. Okay. So yes, a hundred percent what you said. And even Um, if she was tired, doesn't she afford it? That. I know. That's. I mean, she's given all, you know, of her life and being abused, like you said, different, and and then did, did she handled it? We don't know behind the scenes what she's going through. She's right. just telling you, hey, I need to take a break. It's bad timing for you sports fanatics, but, hey, I need to take a break for a minute. And that's, you know, that's her right as as her herself, her person. Um, so what are some of the signs to um, – to look for, I know you. This is sort of general, but if you can give some some type of thing, you know, it's almost like when people. I I had a, a you know, a family member that started off smoking cigarettes, then he went to marijuana, then he went to cocaine. Next thing you know, he's doing angel dust. So he graduated, right? So are there signs that you start off, you're just tired all the time, you're sleeping? What are some of the signs that um, you want to avoid so you won't get to some place where it's very you know, almost fatal for you? Um, So with general depression, absolutely, you want to look for, um, it's called hypersomnia. It's where you sleep long times, like eight to nine hours, and you're still tired when you get up. That's one of the things. It's um, avoiding contact, isolating yourself. Like you have good friends, you just don't want to talk to them right now. Um, It is... um, Absolutely abusing um, substances, um, but sometimes you have to be careful with that one because if the person has addiction in their family, that can also be a heredity thing. Um, So definitely those are some warning signs to watch for. Um, Everything seems like it doesn't matter. It's never going to turn out right. When you see somebody take two, you want to check in with them. Like you say, hey, well, we can go here. It'll be okay. No, they're probably going to mess it up. When they have that negative mindset, you want to check in with them. When they're oversleeping a lot and they're still not, you know, they're still not um, rested enough, then you definitely want to check in with them. Overeating and or not eating enough. 
It could be either one of those. Overeating, eating your emotions, that is definitely a sign, a telltale sign of a, of a depression. And also not eating enough, that's also a telltale sign of depression. So for anxiety, which is what a lot of us um, survivors suffer from, you want to watch for um, spiraling thoughts. Now, this is something that normally only the person can tell you that they're going through. Um, they will talk themselves into a frenzy. They will overthink, overworry, and it will go into a circle. Um, their thoughts will start racing. They, they can't even get a hold of one without thinking about something else. Everything is negative. Again, back to that. Um, let's see. Um, breaking out in sweats, and they don't know why. Random triggers. Oof. There's a lot of things when it comes to anxiety. Anxiety is so tricky. And, and you talked about two, some those. two two things you talked about that kind of can be misconstrued, and and um, I don't want to, you know, beleaguer it, but um, you mentioned with uh, the fact that if they have um, they're abusing some form of substance, I told you about a family member or alcohol or whatever the case may be, um, mm-hmm. that that might be hereditary. So how do people decipher? I guess they need to see someone, a professional like yourself, to determine that. And also, you know, sweats. Um, I know um, my sister went through menopause, and she would break out in sweats and stuff. So, well, again, okay. so that's something you have to we... kind of look at that. <laughs> So the first thing when you're dealing with, when a therapist, when you go see a therapist, they're going to ask you, you know, medically, have you been checked out? If there's something that could be caused by, I mean, most of us have been very well versed in getting yourself checked out medically before you come see a therapist or come see a, or come see a psychiatrist because we want to make sure we want to eliminate anything that might be. Um, and like I said, this is not for you, and I always say this in my show, this is not for you to go diagnose anybody. Please do not be like, you got depression. Don't do that. Okay, because <laughs> you're going to end up in a fight. Uh, what you can do is say, hey, sis, I noticed that you're sleeping a lot and you're not eating anything and you don't ever go out anymore. Are you okay? Can I check in with you? What's been going on? How's, you know, and, and check in all around the, I call them, I, I call them hitting all the bases. What's going on in school? What's going on at work? What's going on with your family? What's going on with your relationships? What's going on with your friends? Hit all of the, you want to make sure you hit all of the bases so that you can hear everything and, and you two together can decipher, oh, okay, it sounds like you got, you're having a hard time with this. Let's go talk to somebody or, I mean, there are, there are tons of wonderful things that you can do online. I, I do know that seeing a therapist is expensive, but there are things that you can, you can go online and, and uh, see people. And also the Medicare Act was passed um, so that hopefully that there are people that are able to go see a therapist now. I, I, I do therapy over everything. I love therapy because you, you get to talk and you, you get to work out in your head how you can change the narrative about things that have happened in the past, and it makes you feel better about things. And that's why I love therapy. But we're, I'm on the soapbox, so let me get off. Well, the, the, you always, every time you come on, and uh, myself included in the audience, we always feel good about ourselves when you leave. So I want you to take the time out to talk about your your practice and how people can reach out, your, your social media and your show. Of course, you, you have the floor. Take all, all the time you need. Okay. I love it. I love it. Okay. So I am a licensed um, master's of social work, and I have a show called A Dose of the Dime. And what we do is we talk about relationship issues. Like right now, uh, like tomorrow, we're going to wrap up 
on narcissists and gaslighting. So a lot of people are not quite sure exactly what that is. They've heard these $10 catchphrases. Oh, he's a narcissist. Oh, my God, this is toxic. Oh, they're gaslighting me. And I want to break it down so that if you are being gaslighted, you at least have these weapons in your arsenal so that you know what to do and that you can move forward. So my goal is to create better relationships for our people. Um, for you, for, you know, and whoever else that you have are listening to us. So you can always reach me um, at www.thedjdime.com. I'm also on Facebook. I'm on uh, Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm also on Pinterest and Twitter. I don't do much on Twitter, but anyway. And I'm also on YouTube. But you guys can check me out. And, of, of course, every Friday at, uh, what is it, at 930 um uh, Eastern Standard Time, I do a dose of the dime, but of course that is uh, 8.30 Central Standard Time. So you guys are welcome to come check me out. If you know, I do have a Facebook group that is open to the public. It is called A Dose of the Dime Radio Show, and on there we just talk about relationships, and sometimes I will take from the post that we post, and I put it on a radio show. And I also go on live when I go on the radio, so you guys can see me while I, you know, chop this up. But if you guys ever have questions, comments, concerns, or you want to pose a topic, I'm open and receptive to it. So please hit me up. You got the numbers. Me, make it happen. Got to bring up the central time. You know, you just got to bring the central time, I, mm-hmm. man. You know, you know we're, it's Connecticut central, time. It's central. We're it's, Connecticut. It's central. It's central to the heart of the program, sir. Oh, <laughs> he wasn't ready. <laughs> she is a joy to have. What well, I tell you, she uh, um, just is it, her, her conversation is impactful, and she, she definitely knows what she talks about. And and please do check out her her Facebook page, but also do check out the show uh, airs Friday mornings, 9.30 Eastern Time, A Dose of the Dime with Yanni, and, um, uh, of course, after Locker Talk with with Barry Barnes. And you can listen to the show at thebachelornews.airtime.pro or at uh, 646-929-0130. And, of course, on her Facebook uh, page, you can see her there live. Yanni, I appreciate you. Be careful. God bless. I will talk with you tomorrow morning. All right, peace and blessings, people. Have a wonderful one, and be a blessing to somebody today. Absolutely. Sometimes we fall in
Craig Bachelor Jr. And he's Kevin Bachelor. And this is Smooth Smooth Say. And you're listening to The Bachelor News Radio Show. On the Bachelor News Radio Network. to know where your family came from? Are you planning a reunion? Is your business celebrating an anniversary? Valerie Metzler, archivist historian, can help. With 34 years of experience as an archivist, preserving and making accessible documents and photographs, and as a historian researching genealogies, Valerie Metzler, archivist historian, can bring your history to life and preserve it for your children's grandchildren. For more information, email her, vmsandmary, A-H, at keycon Dot net. That's V M S N Mary A H at key C O N N dot net or call eight one four nine three two one seven four zero. Good evening. Welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show. We thank you for joining us wherever you are. You could have done anything else and could be doing anything else, yet you've decided to check in with us. 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us right now to get into any discussion we may have. And we got a lot. We're going to get to it. Uh, If you have any questions, you can hit us there. Um, And, of course, Uh, 
um, you always can reach out to us by email at labachelor40 at gmail.com or um, certainly you can hit us up at Pad Nation on Facebook. We're live on Facebook now and um, or LA Bachelor as well. Twitter Pad, Pad Nation too. I want to bring in my first guest. He is a licensed relationship therapist. Uh, of course, uh, he has been featured on Cosmopolitan uh, 51 First Dates podcast and the DBS podcast. Good to have him on uh, for the first time. He is Trey H. Hennis. And Trey, listen, I appreciate you. You, you said don't call you doctor, so I, I may call you Dr. Trey just to play on it a little bit. Um, but nevertheless, we, pre- we appreciate you coming on this evening, sir. Fantastic. Absolute pleasure to be here. Absolute pleasure. So I, I wanted to bring you on. We, we're doing a series, um, and it, we can't get it all in one show, about black love. Black love in terms of two people, a spouse, you know, um, uh, male, female, otherwise, and, and certainly um, love of self, which could hinder a lot of relationships, I would think, in your profession you see. But in, in terms of the origin of the issues that black men and women have in this society. And I, I got all the stats. We could throw that around all day, you know, marriage and percentages and interracial day. All that stuff is in front of me. But I want to go to you and ask you what, in your professional opinion, whether it be some of your patients or just in your studies, is sort of the the core, the origin, the decline, not only just of marriages, but this this relationship we call uh, between black men and black women. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think there are a few different components. You know, if we talk about the breakdown of marriage, you know, the relationship between black men and black women, I think one of the first things you have to take into consideration is technology. You know, the age of information, uh, has essentially changed dating, marriage, the ideologies of marriage, the paradigms of long-term commitment and monogamy. It's just completely changed the game. In addition to that, the Western world, every year we become more progressive with the paradigms of what monogamy means. You know, we've seen the rise of polyamory, and that is when you and your partner decide to be in relationships with other people while still being in relationships with each other. We've seen the rise of internet dating and app dating where you can essentially date with anonymity and no one really knows that you're married or or in a relationship. Um, And we've seen the acceptance of essentially uh, marrying who you want to marry. The good thing is that there's still a large percentage of, uh, you know, 85% of black men are still marrying black wives. Uh, 9% have a white spouse, 3% have Hispanic, and uh, the other 3% have other. I don't really know what that means. Um, but essentially, <laughs> technology is, is slowly tearing apart, you know, institutionalized monogamy and marriage that we've seen for, for decades and centuries. Well, where does that come from, though? I mean, let's let's go back to the marriage part. As you, you mentioned, um, the decline, the numbers in marriage, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you know, only 29% of uh, African-Americans are married. And that's down from four years ago. Um, so 
you talked about, you know, online dating and those things and, and being able to be uh, sort of secret in what you're, you're doing, but there has to be an origin of why you're doing it. Why, if you're married, that you decide as a black man and woman that you decide that you want to step out of your marriage and and start another relationship with another man or another woman um, or whatever um, is the core value gone from from black marriages from black people in terms of when they come together in a relationship are our are, are core values going away and if so is it because of the technology the online dating the 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 wanting to take a, a bite from that other apple yeah you know I I think Time and time, so there's an old saying, right, where you are only as good, a man is only as faithful as his options. No, I'm not saying that's a fact. I'm not saying that I stand by that, but that's an old saying, right? And now, you see, back in the day, you know, you could meet someone at a gas station, you could meet someone at an apartment complex, you could meet someone at work, you could meet someone at school, you know, and those were basically the forms of meeting people. So your options were limited and the person that you stuck with you felt like was the best you could get because you really hadn't seen that many options now you could literally be sitting through the comfort of your own home and you can have a single bar in the comfort of your own hand and you can swipe and find someone that if there wasn't this technology you never would have seen before and unfortunately what that gives people is a paradox of not getting married because they're waiting for the next best option because they know that if it doesn't work out with the person that perhaps they should have been destined to marry, that there's always going to be another option. There's always going to be a next best thing because all you have to do is pick up your phone and swipe and swipe and swipe until you have that match. So when people traditionally used to commit, when people traditionally used to work through relationships, used to talk through problems, used to be master communicators, that's just not happening anymore because people don't need to do that. Because people know that if I have a big argument with the person that I'm in a relationship right now, maybe I can find someone who doesn't argue like that. But what they don't realize is that when you leave a relationship because you guys can't get through conflict resolution, the next person that perhaps doesn't have that fault that the previous person has, they're going to have another fault that you don't like. And that next person is going to have another issue that you don't like. And what's happening right now is, Millennials, particularly people who are at the ages between 25 to 35 right now, is they're going through this cycle. They're getting in relationships that last from three to four months, and what they're doing is any kind of conflict or any issues or if there's a small thing that they don't particularly like, they're out of it. And there was a, a study that was released by the Pew Research Center that essentially said 25% of millennials are likely never to ever be married. And that's because of that one paradox of online dating. Well, if you're just joining us, we're, we're talking with Trey H. Hennis. Uh, he's a licensed re relationship there therapist, a black, black man himself. Uh, full disclosure, uh, we try to reach out to um, kind of balance the scale with a female um, a black therapist, and um, we were unable to do that. Uh, but will continue as this, these shows go on. We'll, we'll certainly will have uh, that situation. You know, um, Trey, you, one of the things, uh, again, going back to the core, and you, you like, I like the term back in the day that you use. You know, back in the day, yes, uh, it, it seems, though, our grandparents and, and their parents uh, worked things out. Um, there was a lot more emphasis 
certainly you can even look at the numbers there, um, emphasis on spirituality, um, that it was biblical that you stay married, um, not just for the sake of your soul, but the sake of your kids. We'll get to that in a, a second. But it was biblical and spiritual to stay together. Um, and some experts and some uh, sort of articles to say that black men and black women are going in opposite directions in that, that aspect that um, I've, I've seen that, you know, a lot of black women, if they aren't dating, hitting that button on the phone, um, they're holding out, if you will, quote unquote, um, for that godly man. And to a lesser percentage, and I'm not trying to kill either side, to a lesser percentage, maybe not so much with black men. So they don't stay in these relationships. They get divorced because they want to have that core values. We can get into if somebody, you know, infidelity and all that kind of stuff. But do you do you buy into that? Have you researched that? Have you had um, any of your, your patients or clients deal with that of, uh, about, you know, the spiritual, moral side of things have been part of the disconnect of the black family. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting you say that in, in the black community, traditionally, we're, we're very religious, you know, we're very Christian, and I think that there is a disconnect between the modern black male and the modern black women. You know, right now, we're living in an age where, you know, black women are, and I don't want to generalize, but in the kind of couples that I've spoken to, the single people that I've spoken to for relationship advice, you know, oftentimes the black woman that, you know, they're coming to me saying that a lot of men they're dating aren't necessarily God-fearing. Some of them don't even believe in God. And again, I'm not saying that's all of them, but that, that right. seems to be the big disconnect right there. In addition to that, what we're seeing is that we are kind of in a weird world right now where we want to be progressive. We want to talk about equality and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of people want it both ways. And by that, I mean, they want to have a traditional role. They want to have a traditional marriage where the man is leading the way, the man is paying the majority of the bills, you know, the man is the patriarch of the house. But at the same time, you know, they want it where it's equality in the sense that, okay, a man has to be an alpha, he has to lead the way, he has to, you know, pay a majority of the bills, but they also want it where, you know, he's essentially doing what he can to make sure that she's happy, he's looking after the kids, he's you know, changing diapers as well. He's preparing meals as well. And again, I'm not saying that, you know, I buy into any particular gender role. But what I'm saying is a lot of people feel like they can have it both ways. And if you want a traditional God-fearing marriage, you can't have it both ways. That's just not the reality of modern relationships right now because the world is telling you one thing, right? You should do this. You should look at your career first, you know, don't ever let a woman tell you what to do. Don't ever let a man tell you what to do. But then traditions are telling you the complete opposite. And, you know, no man can mm. serve two masters, right? That, and that's uh, certainly out of, uh, out of the good book. Um, you know, uh, it, w with that being said, I, I had a conversation with someone the other day, you know, having it both ways, wanting, uh, you know, a man to be um, sensitive uh to a woman's needs, being, you know, allowing them to be a damsel, you know, being a polite, opening the doors, paying for dinner, things of that nature leading up, you know, if you're dating, leading up to uh, long-term and a marriage, 
which is could be two different things. Um, and and some women sort of buck about that. So how how do how do you merge the two? I mean, is there any possibility of the understanding there? Because you know, some people think that if if two sides are sort of have these uh, traditions and even I would say preconceived notions, then you lose out. You might have missed the the greatest man you would have would have been your partner or the the greatest woman that would have been your your wife forever because of the mixture. And and I guess what I'm saying is that uh, uh, are are the people going to listen to what society says and let that be um, the way they lead their relationships or are they going to go to traditional marriage and relationships? Exactly. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm always refer to this, right? Back in the day, the, the general consensus was, you know, if, if there's a man who's, you know, making a bulk of the money and, you know, the woman is at home looking after the kids, the role was always, you know, the man would, make the money, put food on the table, you know, take care of the family. And that was his role, right? And then the woman's role was, hey, you know, I'll take care of the kids. You know what I mean? Like, I'll take care of the house, blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying, again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that this is, you know, anything that I stand by. I stand by an individualist, um, an individual approach between you and your spouse. But I'm going to get into that in a second. But what what we're seeing now is that, you know, the trade-offs that, that people want aren't matching and they don't usually discuss it until they're a couple of dates in. Sometimes they're they're even in a relationship. So uh, both parties, you know, men want it where, and I wouldn't say all men, but some men want it where, you know, they can be their provider and and they can have, they can take care of their woman and, you know, they want something in return, uh, but they're not getting it. And then some women, they feel to themselves, okay, well, you know, so long as you take care of me, I'll take care of you. And a lot of men aren't taking care of them because they feel like, okay, well, you know, if you want equality, then you're going to pay for your half. You're going to pay for your meal. You know what I mean? Like if if you truly want equality, then, you know, you can't have it both ways. You know, I'm not going to take care of you if you want to be, you know, if you want to have that sense of equality in the relationship. And what I think needs to happen, and, and this has worked for me, is, you know, the first couple of dates, you two just have an honest conversation. You know, you look at your woman in the eye and say, hey, what do you think is good for you in a relationship? What works for you? And as a man, you say, hey, this is what works for me in a relationship. I'll give an example, okay? For me, you know, um, I believe in equality and all that stuff. And I think that, you know, relationships should really be what you two decide. But I also like a woman who embraces the feminine i don't really typically i'm not attracted to masculine women right that's a preference that i have i'm always going to you know let the person that i'm trying to be in a relationship know right so she and i know that we're on the same page and if you're a woman you should say hey you know i'm looking for a god-fearing man i'm looking for a masculine man i'm looking for an alpha man and you be very clear what you want because that way there could be no disputation there can't be a situation where the guy said oh but I didn't know you wanted that because you never communicated it from the get-go. Everything needs to happen from the first three dates in regards to communication. It's it's funny you, you brought that up, um, Dr. Trey, because when you, uh, you have situations where um, 
people are dating, there is no, it seems, right, no, no real honesty. It's almost like I used to say years ago, um, you know, when you're hungry, everything tastes good. So sometimes it seems, Doc, you know better than I do, that um, it seems as though black men and women tend to try to force relationships that are not there. You can't put a square, a square in a circle based on whatever they want, whether they're trying to, whether the woman's trying to um, make the man that they just met into what they want it to be or perceive and the opposite. Like they, you know, you know, after a few dates, right, that is probably sometimes after a, a conversation that's probably not going to be a good mix. So why, what is the reason behind that? Is that insecurity? Is that, you know, because people feel lonely? Why do they try to force relationships that are really not there? You know, especially now with, you know, the the civil rights movement that we're, we're almost reigniting in regards to talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. I think a lot of black men and black women feel like, look, you know, we're going through an important movement right now. And I, I want to be with, you know, a brother or a sister that's, you know, going to help me raise kids so we can protect them and, and help them understand what it truly means to to be black and, and proud, right? But, you know, it's it's very steeper among blacks right now. I, I mean, I remember reading an article that said that in the 1960s, you know, 74% of whites were married, and that rate dropped to 56% in 2008. And, and when I think about that, that's a huge, huge drop. But what's interesting is that in comparison to blacks, in 1960, 61% of blacks were married, okay? In 2008, it's only 32%. Black people are getting divorced more often and remarry less frequently than uh, Caucasian people right now, which is nuts when you think about it. Um, and, and this is something that, you know, whenever I try and counsel a couple, you know, I let them know how imperative it is that they survive in this modern dating world and relationship world and, and marriage world right now because, you know, things are slowly falling apart and we need to stick together if we're going to be in a situation where we can progress as a people. Uh, you know, um, Doc, and I, I got a question that came in, and I want to remind people that you can get online and ask questions at 646-929-0130. Um, you can also hit us up in the chat room uh, online if you're listening online. Uh, you can hit us up with your questions and comments in the chat room as well. Email us, labachelor40 at gmail.com, and hit us up on Facebook at Pad Nation or Twitter at Pad Nation, too, if you have uh, a question. So there's all kinds of ways to get to uh, Dr. Trey and then ask some, some questions. Doc, when you, when you mention all of that um, and it, it goes to um, – we I asked about, you know, what are the reasons why they – they do what they do in terms of trying to force relationships. One of the the stats and one of the things that I think people don't, black people don't really realize is that, and it goes back to the Monaghan letters back, you know, in 1962, um, that if we already know, is Captain Obvious is, you know, Statistically, kids grow up better when there's a mother and father in 
in the household, married. They don't really go into just living together, but mother and father there in the household. They, they do generally better in all phases of their life for the most part. Um, and if that doesn't happen, you know, the numbers go down, single moms, you know, no, no men in the household. We get into incarceration and why they're not there and things of that nature. But it, the kids get affected. So it's almost it's, – it's, what's worse for children at least, two parents that stay together knowing they should not be together, they probably shouldn't even gotten together in the first place, for the sake of the kids, and then, you know, kids are smart. They see things, they know things, and they absorb things. So they see the, the tension, if there's tension there, or parents that get divorced um, and those kids have to deal with, you know, the separation. You're staying with mom sometimes, you're staying with dad sometimes. Maybe dad's not there all the time. Maybe mom gave up her right, whatever the case may be. What's worse? I mean, because ultimately – um, the breakdown of the family has affected the kids, and, and kids learn, you know, from those surroundings and those adults that are around them, good or bad. I concur with you fully. I, I think it's it's definitely difficult because there is that stigma of, you know, having the paradigm of single moms because, you know, black men, we still have a significantly higher incarceration rate, right? And that leaves, you know, uh, a lot of uh, boys or, or girls motherless, uh, fatherless, and it's difficult for them to kind of want to get married because that's not necessarily something that they grew up with. And when I say this, you know, this isn't me necessarily victim shaming or anything like that, but you could imagine that you know, in the 70s and 60s when there weren't any video cameras to film the atrocities that some police officers had done or, you know, when Bill Clinton, you know, had that act where even if you had some weed, essentially you could be locked up for five to six years, right? You know, there's generations that are still trying to recover from that, you know, generations that didn't see their father around because he was locked up for, for blatant racism or racial profiling, and, and that is suffering that people... You know, people in my generation, you know, we're suffering by the effects of that right now because some of us didn't grow up with a traditional family, so it's hard for us to want that. I also think when you talk about, you know, characteristics and situations why black men and black women are, are getting married less, I think expectations are, are very, very high for both parties. But I want to focus specifically on, on women's preferences. You know, black men, a lot of them, and the black men that I've spoken to have, have felt like they have an increasing amount of pressure and that they fall very short of a woman's preference. You know, for example, I had uh, a guy I was talking to about two months ago who had recently broken up with his girlfriend and he wanted me to, to help him find a date. You know, he wanted me to, to get an online dating profile. So I, I did his online dating profile for him. I helped him with his bio. And he said to me, he said, you know, it's kind of crazy out there. You know, women want you to have, you know, an amazing body, a, a six-figure job. They want you to be empathetic, but they want you to be alpha. You know, they don't want you to be trying too hard, but they want you to be trying hard. They want to be taken out. They want someone to raise a family. They don't want you to have any kids. They don't want you to have any debt. They don't want you. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And, again, you know, I'm not saying that this is just separate to black women, but I don't date you know, men, so I wouldn't really be able to talk from a woman's perspective. Um, 
but you know they they have very very high aspirations which isn't a bad thing but i'll give an example right when black women were asked uh how important it is that they have a good husband or a partner to provide a good income two-thirds of black women said that it was very very important compared to 32 percent of white women and then roughly 55 percent of black women said that it was very important for a husband or partner to be well educated compared to 28 percent of white women so what that's saying is that um a lot of black women are saying that look you know 55 percent of them to be specific are saying look you know you're not really going to get an opportunity if you're not highly educated, which I think is drastically unfair because not everyone is afforded the privilege of being highly educated. I think, you know, some of the best employees have worked for me who have just had high school diplomas. And quite frankly, they've worked harder than most people who have university degrees. And, and that's a stigma that, that needs to die. And then half of the black women said that financial stability should be an important precondition for marriage, but only a quarter of white women felt that way. Now, when I say this, I'm not saying that, you know, Caucasian women are better than black women. What I am saying is that black women have very, very high expectations for black men. I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing, but I do think that there is a portion of black men who don't fulfill that criteria, who feel like they're losing out and feel like it's not even a battle that I want to fight because there's no way I can possibly win right now. Wow. You know, it's 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 it's. I'm I'm glad you you said that uh, again. Um, I, I'm a, a member of a few different groups, real, real dads, and some some stuff like that. Um, we have conversations like that a, a, a lot about those things, and I won't get into my specifics, but a lot of a lot of the brothers say that you know it, that that's the case, even when you know. Um, Prejudging. Everybody tends to prejudge on some some level. And, you know, some of the brothers have said to me, you know, um, I, I just don't know what what they want, black women want. You know, if I'm dressed and clean cut, they think I'm soft. If I look like a thug, then I'm too I'm too thugged out. They don't want that. If I and and I think the um the what you mentioned in regards to education um there are a lot of opportunities to get an education i do think that you know some form of training i would say is important Mm -hmm. but like you said not everybody's going to get a degree and then at the same time i do believe that uh a you want to i would want someone um to be bringing something to the table financially, working at least, right? Um, if you're able-bodied, you're not, you know, disabled or anything. Um, and certainly, and the other thing is, you know, coming to the table if you, uh, you know, you're either trying to improve your credit and you're standing or you have good credit. I mean, these are the things that I think both men, black women, men and women kind of look at, especially if if they're in that position, but does that mean from those stats that you said, Dr. Trey, that um, is it hard for, say, an educated, well-off black woman to even give an opportunity or come into the same circles of 
a black man who is the opposite. And, you know, same thing with a black man, black man who's well off and um, educated, trying to date and be in a relationship and have a long lasting relationship with a woman that is not of those same areas. Well, you know, I, I think you have to to look at, at the expectations for both sexes, right? You know, the, typically the saying goes, a man is only as good as what he can provide. That rings very, very true. You know, I noticed a, a significant change in the kind of relationships I had when I was broke and studying my MBA and my undergraduate <laughs> versus when I was actually having a salary job, right? There was a significant change with my dating opportunities, right? But that same mentality is not given to women. You will never hear anyone say a woman's value is only as good as what she can provide financially. You know, for most men, a woman's value is how she can support him, right? How they can grow together. You know, we're biologically wired to want and need certain things. Even though we're all about equality these days, we still can't ignore, you know, what we're biologically required to want. Men have been the hunter and gatherer since the beginning of time, literally hunting bison as cavemen. Do you see where we're coming from? So, you know, when we talk about if you are a significantly successful black man, when it comes to getting a woman, you're going to have a much easier task as opposed to if you are a significantly successful black woman and you're trying to get a man. Because a lot of men are intimidated. Let's take away black women in general, by significantly successful women. Because most women who are very successful in the corporate world, they've had to embrace masculine energy to get there. Because the American corporate workforce and the Western corporate workforce is still very male-dominated and very male-gendered, which means if you're a woman and you want to climb the ladder, you need to embrace those masculine traits. I would like it to change, but that's the situation we're in right now. Therefore, if a woman is a VP or a CEO or anything like that, typically she has masculine traits. And most men don't really want to date that. Some base males. But, uh, but also, isn't it, isn't it, you talked about DNA, and I mean to cut you off, Dr. Trey, but DNA with the men who, is it just intimidation or is it a man prejudging that successful black woman saying, oh, she ain't going to want to do it. She, she got every letter on, on after her name, the PhD and all that. She, she's not going to want to work with me. I'm a construction worker. Whatever the case, no disrespect to them. But is it not just intimidation, but is also prejudging that the fact that, you know, why would she want to even deal with me? Is that insecurity? Yeah, I, I would definitely say it, it's 50-50. I'd say it's one you know, men definitely have a bit of insecurity, you know, with masculine women. And two, you know, they feel like, well, you know, I've been a bus driver for the past 10 years. You know, I, I just don't think there's anything that I can do about this, you know. Or they could say, well, you know, she's so educated and so intelligent, there's no way she would even give me a shot. So right. I, I think a solution for that is, you know, if we want to boost marriage rates uh, amongst black people, you know, we should really focus on uh, improving job opportunities and education, particularly mm. for black men. Um, you know, black women are winning right now, and, and I'm for it. They're winning significantly more than black men. Um, you know, I, I was reading an article, and it was, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, they were saying that 18.4% of black men were jobless compared to 9.6% of white men. 
Now, we're not going to get into, you know, the historical atrocities or systematic racism, right? Because we know why we're here, fine. But at the same time, you know, there are still significant racial disparities that persist. I mean, end of March, you know, I was laid off by my job due to COVID. And it took me about two and a half months to get back into work, whereas I had a Caucasian counterpart where it took him a month. Now, I'm not going to get into the specifics. It could have been, you know, maybe he had better context and connections that, that, that I did than I did. But my point we know what We know what it is, Dr. Trey. We, we know what it is, Dr. <laughs> Table. Go ahead. We know. Come on. We know what it is. <laughs> but, but, yeah, but, but what I'm saying is, you know, we need to give black men more opportunity to, to thrive. You know, we need to allow the patterns that we've seen before to be changed and you know, black women, they, they got to give us a shot, you know, they got to realize that we're still struggling, you know, we're still seen as a certain element in society, and, and we need to be accepting of all people, regardless of educational, financial status. Right. And, you know, I, I will say this, too, to to your point about uh, uh, black women, um, some of the most educated over the last few decades, they're much more aggressive than men, black men, right? They and and we tend to want to grunt it out, you know, historically, if you will. We'll, mm. we'll work that nine to five. They want more. They're more tentative. They 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 work as hard statistically, harder, as you mentioned. Um, so there, there's those things. I want to get to a a question that came in. And got a lot of people actually sending in questions. Uh, Kimberly uh, said that she wants that traditional uh, black man, that black husband, that is, you know, um, steep in godly values. That's that's what she wants. And and that was her question. You can address that, but uh, just to, to add on to that, um, what about even if you want the godly values, but you know, again, let's live in a real world. You're not going to get the perfect person. The, the the last perfect person we know, you know, walked on water and is supposed to be coming back. If you believe in 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 the book, but but the thing is that if if you can get eighty percent of what you want and deal with the twenty percent you don't get, you know, the eighty twenty rule, isn't that enough? And 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 one would think that the godly principles will probably be built into that anyway. Yeah. And you know, it's, I want to touch on the first question, then I'm going to touch on the second one. So, you know, if you want to find a, a godly man who you feel like embraces, you know, the key attributes of, you know, a man, right. In a relationship and marriage, then you need to go to the places where you can traditionally find them. And that's not going to be the club. That's not going to be the bar. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm sure there's a preacher that's gone to a good bar in his time, right? Or something. But I'm talking about those people that are in the same club every week, the same bars every week on a Saturday night. I very much doubt that the guy's going to be coming out of some club at 3 a.m. and making sure he can wake up at 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. to go to his Sunday service, right? So mm. if you want to find a God-fearing man, you need to go to the places where God-fearing men are going to be. For example... Look at your local chamber of black commerce, okay? Look at your local church gathering. Look at your reach-out events. Look at events 
you know, charity events, you know, where good black men are generally going to be. Because black men who don't care about that sort of stuff, they ain't going to be there. You know, ain't going to be no, if, if, if there's a black man who, who's not a God-fearing man, he's not going to be going to no reach-out event. He's not going to be feeding the homeless. He's not going to be going to no march <laughs> or protest. You see what I'm saying? Like, you need to go to the places where you can find good men, okay? And I always tell right. people it's not going to be the bar or the club. It might be a dating app, but you need to be specific and strategic when you do that. I, you know, if I'm a woman and I'm looking for a God-fearing man, I'm not going to be swiping on a guy who's topless. That guy's not God-fearing man. The only thing he's fearing is that he's going to get a belly and he's going to lose his six-pack. So, yeah. Well, let me ask you, strategic. let me just play advocate with you, Dr. Trey. Let me ask you, uh, uh, play, dev, play advocate, I should say, not devil's advocate, but advocate. But some people would say, well, you still see you know, the wolves in sheep's clothing at the church, at these uh, protests, at these other events. So, you know, again, maybe it's a smaller portion than if you go to the club, but maybe you still find those people. In other words, you know, it maybe comes into your 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 innermost sense, your spiritual sense, as some people say, Holy Spirit, some people say, that did you kind of figure it out and did, did discern things, but how do you figure it out? Because, if it, you know, we, we know stories of pastors that have fallen short and had oh, wives yeah. and embezzled money and things of that nature, too. So, you know, as soon as we're talking about God-fearing men, I, I'm going to by, – by their fruits, you may know them, Okay which mm. basically is saying that actions speak far louder than words, you know. And right. I always say to women, look, if you're trying to get to know if a guy's God-fearing, you know, and I'm going to get quite raw here, think about the sexual component of things, okay? I believe that if a man is willing to wait, now I'm not talking about waiting till marriage. I'm not that old school. I'm old school, but I ain't that old school. Okay, I'm not. If you want to wait till marriage, <laughs> you know, by all means. But I'm not looking to. I, I would never do that. I think that's madness. You know what I'm saying? But for example, I was once in a situation where I was dating someone and we didn't have sex for two months because you know that was important to her, right? And I was like, all right, that's that's kind of important to me as well. I could do it in three weeks, but if you want to do two months, it's fine by me. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like I was willing to wait because I was, you know, confounded by her beliefs and I, I believed in it, but she wanted to take it there. I wanted to take it there. Right. And you're going to find men that are significantly better than me that like, yeah, let's, let's just date and, and give it a couple of months till we share that moment. Right. If the guy says he's God fearing and then it's the second date and he's like, yo, come over to the house. Like, you know, let's get it on. Then that guy's not got food. He's playing around. He's playing around, okay? You, you know, women, in fact, are far more discerning than men because they've had to deal with yeah. it from 16 and upwards. You know, women get specifically attractive women. They get harassed all the time. You get, I mean, I remember once I was uh, at the gas station, you know, my girl was in the car and then she got out because it was too hot and she was on her phone. I walk out the gas station, there's some guy trying to run up on her. He's just trying to talk to her. I said, hey, we got over here. He was like, oh, sorry, man. Is this you? I said, yeah, this is me. So my point <laughs> being is that women, <laughs> you know, women get har- har- harassed and guys trying to pick them up, you know, on a daily basis. So they know a good man that's in front of them. And if they don't, then they need to start looking back at the mistakes they've made with men before. I'll give you another example. Okay, for me. So 
I know that if I'm texting someone and, you know, she's not that good at texting, she responds the next day, that's typically not a good sign. She's just going to waste my time. She's dealing with other guys. She's not that interested. I know that by historical data throughout my relationship life. If you're a woman, right. you know the certain things that you have done in your past and the result hasn't ended in your favor, stop doing that thing in the past. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. Mm. That's real talk. I, and uh, I like <laughs> what you said. <laughs> the, the guy was hollering at your girl. That was uh, that was funny. You know, um, and 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 you know, I mean, we're we're men. You know, the wind blows and we get excited. I mean, let's just be let's be real <laughs> about that. I mean, I mean, really. You know, you know that that's yeah, that's really real. uh, we we are. Um, but it, it's it's important though too, just to to. Look at the other side, um, because what about the men who – well, let me backtrack, uh, Dr. Trey. I think that – I think you agree that just like parenting, society looks at uh, the woman in a better light than the man. Now, the man has caused that a lot, abandonment, you know, cheating and things of that nature – but there are some good men out there, right, in terms of being good fathers, you know, and being good men, um, those who really want something. But I think society um, paints this picture, and maybe some women buy into that, um, you know, he, you know, I got dogs, so the next one's going to be a dog. Or, um, you know, men don't hurt. We hurt. Men just move on. We don't hurt. We never get our, bro- our hearts broken or anything like that. Um, well, I won't get into my personal stuff, but th- those things do happen. What, what about that side of things? So you're saying what about the side of things where men, essentially, when it comes to court, they, they're seen as like uh, – you're saying that they're seen as like uh, we are the aggressors in the situation. I'm, I'm saying that um, society and some women, black women, look at men as uh, you know that they they don't hurt or they all don't take care of their, their kids or you know all the negatives that society mainstream tries to put on black men that is really just. Uh, a stereotype because this you can never say all anyway, but I I mean I'll go personal now I know I'm a good father period so um, but and there's a lot of good fathers out there and also the fact that we do get into loving monogamous relationships and we do get hurt we get burned by a woman like you said that don't she don't text back the next day till the next day you know she's not about anything like women can have can date a bunch of men and they're weighing their options men date a lot of women and their dogs right, which 100% is true and and that you know by by nature uh, a lot of women are, are hypergamous right and and that's how a lot of them are wired not all of them but some of them in the sense that you know, they want the best of the best because as men, we are the choosers. We are the pursuers. We are seen as dogs because, you know, we are trying to find the perfect match. But what people don't understand is that there's a difference between a man and a woman. Now, when a woman has multiple guys that she's interested in, you know, it's different because, 
you know, you could walk, if a woman walked down the street right now, she, you know, she's wearing a revealing top, you know what I mean? She's looking good, you know, tight, hugging, figure hugging dress. And she said to a guy, hey, look, I just broke up with my boyfriend. You want to have sex? I don't know any man that would say no, or at least say it, not now, but maybe like in a couple of hours, right, if he was busy. There right. isn't really a man that would say no. Me personally, I'd say no just because, like, it's too easy. There's something wrong in the hood. I'm going to get jumped around the corner or something, right? But for the most part, most men are going to say yes. If a man walks up to a woman and says that, the police are going to run upon him. He's going to get slapped. She might be carrying if she has a concealed carry. Like, it's over for that guy if he just walks up to a girl and says, let's have sex. So the double standard is, is getting worse and worse because misandry is, is increasing, you know, hatred towards men. We, we've just discovered in the last five years of the Me Too mo- mo- movement that there are a lot of men who have been abusing their power and authority to abuse women, which, you know, I don't condone. I think it's disgusting, and I think those men deserve their just desserts. However, because of that, we dealt with overcorrection. And what that meant when I say overcorrection is that Men who were just, you know, doing things like trying to pick up a woman at a bar or something, you know, other people would say, oh, that's harassment because we're trying to overcorrect the issue that has been happening for, for so many years. And there's always been that double standard because women have always been painted as the damsels in distress, you know, the women who, who are very delicate and, and you can't hurt their feelings. Whereas men were always portrayed as we're just dudes running up on any girl. We're just trying to hook up with women and have sex and, and leave. But in reality, the tables have never been closer than they ever have before. As a man, I know if this woman is worth her salt, if she's as attractive as I think she is, she's definitely going to have two to four guys that she is talking to the same time she's dating me. And you know how it is as, mm. well as a man. You know when you're rising to the top. You know when you're the number one guy. You know when she's not seeing any other guy before you. But in those beginning stages, she's definitely talking to other men. But for us, it's expected for us to just be like, okay, I'm only focusing on you. Like, it's a very terrible, terrible double standard that needs to change. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree. And, and I, I wanted to throw the emphasis on, too, you know, the, the motherhood and the fatherhood. And, um, and going back there, I did a, get, I got a comment from someone said, um, they don't, the man doesn't have to be perfect. Get a lot of women comments. Uh, the man doesn't have to be perfect, but he he will be perfect for her, and they're perfect together, which I think is is profound. Um, but what about upbringings? We didn't get a chance. And folks, if you're just joining us, we're talking with uh, Trey H. Hennis, aka Dr. Trey. He's a licensed relationship therapist here on the Bachelor News Radio Show. If you're on the line, you have a question. I may. Uh, Q, go in the queue and ask you if you have a question for our guest before he goes. And I see people on the line. So if, if you get silenced, that means I'm on the queue. I'm trying to ask you if you have a question for the guests um, that you want to, to, to relate to. And I see a lot of people on the line. Um, but, but, Doc, what about upbringings? Because let's say whether you're married or not, we already talked about the statistics there. Um, with black women and, and black men, and maybe next week we get you on, we'll, we'll talk about interracial, which is a whole different thing that probably uh, get people riled up. But <laughs> if, you, if you're a, whether let's just say hypothetically, you're a black woman and you grew up with two parents and you're a black man 
and you grew up with one parent or no parents, and you're trying mm-hmm. to connect. And there's some different, there's some different experiences there. You know, mm-hmm. Naughty by Nature said, if you've never been to the ghetto, stay the bleep out of the ghetto. If you never had those experiences, then sometimes it's hard to relate. But if, you know, no, but you know what right and wrong is. So what about those upbringings? If if they have different upbringings. I, my sister raised me, God love her, her birthday, big shout out to her, her birthday coming up Sunday, but my mother died when I was 11. My father wasn't around. I think I turned out okay. So I'm even in a different category, but what about those who had two parents as opposed to one parent or foster care or no parents when they try to come together? Does that play a part into it, the upbringing? Yeah, so, you know, Upbringing is is huge. It's very, very huge. You know, I remember where I was in a situation where I dated a woman who was incredibly affluent. Her her parent, her dad was literally a millionaire. You know, I think he was worth like 20 million or something like that. I looked him up online and I, I got a little bit intimidated. But it was just, you know, that was a source of contention where we didn't even think it would be because for a lot of issues that I was going through, she just couldn't understand. I remember I had just graduated from my MBA and I was struggling to find work and you know, she was just like, ah, oh, you'll find something. Like, it's not that big of a deal. I was like, it is that big of a deal. Like, I literally paid for this out of my own pocket. Like, you know, your parents paid for your school. They didn't pay for mine, right? And that was just one of the very different arguments that we had because you know, she had different mentalities on money and how money should be used and how disposable money was. So your upbringing, you know, how you've been raised is just critical. I think what we're failing to understand with, you know, black love right now is that it's changed. You see, back in the day, if you were in the 60s or 70s, you know, for the most part, you two would probably have the same sort of family with financial status, right, I want to say. But now we're living in a completely different generation where as a black man or black woman, you could come from a well-to-do mom and dad who was making a hundred grand plus per year and then you know he or she could run up on someone where they're dating someone who just had one dad or one mom that you know they weren't broke but they were working class they really saw their parents because they were always working overtime you know they scrimped and saved to go to college maybe they just got like a diploma and these two are meeting and they think it should work out because we're both black but in reality values and how you brought up are everything and hell, you could have, you know, two black people who were raised up in a fairly affluent background, but one of them, their family is completely atheist, and the other one's religious. It doesn't mean black love is going to survive that. It could, but it just, take, it just takes extra work. So we're dealing with so many different ends of the spectrum when it comes to black love right now that you have to remember with any relationship, one of the key things that's always going to hold you together is respect and values. If you don't share the right. same values, you're going to lose respect. And if you don't have respect, you're never going to have love, period. Mm. Amen to that. And, and to, the, to your point, uh, Dr. Trey, um, uh, upbringings, especially when it comes to affluent or even middle class to poor. We grew up in the projects. We weren't gangster, but we were poor. So I, I, I've experienced the gun to my head by by uh, somebody trying to rob me or a cop, 
in this climate, you know, police shootings and things of that nature. So I am going to be absolutely engaged in protesting and for social injustices and, and equality and those things. And, uh, you know, black women may have never experienced that, maybe never experienced that. So, you know, she, she grew up and all her friends were, it was a, a rainbow and she never heard the N word. She never had to go through those things. So when we come together, then there's some differences. And then I'm the militant black guy and, and they can't relate. So, so even with that, uh, I would think uh, not just the upbringing of the values, Doc, but the environment, what you believe, what you've experienced, what you understand. You know, we didn't trust the police. That, that might have been something different for somebody else. So speak to that real quick. I mean, even with the upbringings of the neighborhoods, if, if you can't connect there, then it is going to have to take some respect some trust and some understanding. Yeah, so, you know, I, I I completely concur with you. You know, even though I'm from London, you know, what people don't realize is that there are some ghettos of London, so to speak. And, <laughs> you know, uh, despite that, though, when I when I first came to America, you know, the, the second person I ever started dating, you know, she was African-American. And, you know, she was talking and she said, she dropped the N-word a few times, and I was like, oh, oh, okay. Uh, that's a bit commonplace over here, huh? Right? And, and then we kind of got into a discussion. I said, you know, you can't be hating on your own people. And she was like, well, no, that's just how we refer to each other. I'm like, well, that's disgusting. How could you call him that? That's racist, <laughs> right? And, right. You know, she explained to me the reason why it happens here is because we're owning the word. We're taking it back. You know, we it's ours now. You know, people try to use it as a a racial jab at us, but now we're taking it back. That's why we refer to each other that way. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, right? And and that whole thing was resolved, but not other black couples. It's not that easy, right? Because sometimes, and this has happened to me a few times, I once dated a black lady who was adopted by a Caucasian family. And me and her, we broke up because it was around – uh, I think it was 2014, Tamir Rice, right there, 14-year-old kid, smoked right. by the police, rest in peace, yeah. Tamir Rice. And she just said, well, you know, yeah, all lives matter, and if he wasn't there in the first place, you know, if he wasn't waving around a toy gun, then they would never have done that in the first place. And I'm like, I cannot believe that you're saying this. I cannot believe that you're saying this, right? Um, and you have some people that are like that, you know, and I'm not going to get into any words of what I would call that person, but, you know, it doesn't always work because you have different values. Values matter for everything. How you're raised right. always matters. Right. Uh, I had a, one final one that uh, someone said that um, um, I just want to make sure I, I, I got the quote uh, correctly uh, that said that um, you can only appreciate something more as when you do the work yourself gives you a sense a pride, and uh, again, uh, good comment there, Dr. Trey. Uh, listen, I, I we have to talk off air, so I want to make sure we get you on and we continue this this series and and um, certainly um, delve in. I, when we have you on again, I want to talk about black love as it relates to the the other side, self hate, and why do we hate our own skin. And and are we buying into what society 
uh, portrays us as. But before you go, I want people to know how they can reach out to you, your social media, your website, how they can, um, um, you know, uh, obtain your, your services. Yeah, for sure. Um, you can go to my website, thefirstdatefix.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at thefirstdatefix. You can follow me on Twitter, thefirstdatefix, and you can go on my YouTube at thefirstdatefix. I upload two videos, two videos weekly on YouTube and Instagram. I post every day for daily advice and tips. I also do a free consultation if you would like your online dating app uh, profile to be maximized, and I guarantee you that I will get you at least one day a week if you allow me to maximize your online dating profile. Well, I, I tell you, you you you're a very impressive young man, Cambridge, Cambridge. You know, in London, that's the Yale of of the United States. So I mean. Anybody's not impressed yeah. with that, and I don't know. Um, I don't know what they would be. Dr. Trey, I'm going to get uh, hit you up uh, off air. Thank you so much. God bless. Be safe, and I'll talk with you next week, sir. All right. God bless, brother. Bye-bye. Welcome back to the show. I'm going to go to Gerald Hoover. Uh, Gerald Hoover is a best-selling author and uh, uh, certainly uh, does a, a phenomenal job. His My Hero series, and we're going to talk about that. But uh, who I wanted to touch base with you and ask you, in this COVID-19, there's two things going on. We'll start with the education side. As you're a professor, you're an author uh, of those series. You talk about um, not only bullying and mentoring, but education. I mean, being able to spell, being able to write a check i mean even if you don't write checks to learn how to to write signature things of that nature the basic things you know kids don't even know their home keys remember when we were kids we had the type mm-hmm. we knew the home key and all that but right now mm-hmm. in this this covid 19 and we're short on time so i want you to really get into it what are the pluses and minuses on online schooling and in the beginning my kids were like you know what yeah this is cool we get to do it but now they're getting bored and they want to be around their friends so socially is different but from an education Education learning standpoint, especially with black and brown uh, kids who are uh, not only uh, disadvantaged in some cases in neighborhoods, the books and all of those things. What's the pluses and minuses of learning online? Well, I'm gonna go with more of the. Well, I, it ain't that many pluses to me. Uh, um, I think it's more of the pluses that there's something happening as opposed to just being shut down and there's nothing happening at all. So at least there's something tangible that's being used. You know what I mean? Um, can it work? Yeah, I mean it can. But I, but like you just mentioned, that social, uh, if it, the, the social part of it is part of the the the, the, uh, the dynamic of being able to know how to get along with, with your teammates. Uh, um, uh, I call them teammates, with classmates, uh, knowing how to function, as opposed to everything being robotic, pressing a button, and and that's the one thing I fear. LA is that with my with my book, I have a curriculum, and my curriculum is a full charge curriculum where there's not a writing involved. And that's by design because, you know, studies show that your memory is enhanced by writing things down. Also, you use a certain part of the brain when you're writing as opposed to just touching a button. A button. You use a certain part of the brain when you're reading as opposed to just things being sent to you digitally. And I think that's the where, that's where that's, we're going to have a problem. Uh, again, the plus is that we're doing something, you know, so, so better than nothing, but 
the the, the minus is all a lot. It's, it's a, and like you said, the, the, your your young men are getting bored. Um, it, it's a lot. And then what happens is the kids are so inundated with these video games. You know, everything is digitized. You know what I mean? So they could be playing Fortnite for four or five hours. Now all of a sudden you're slowing the pace. Now you're trying to tell them to teach. Now you're trying to tell them to learn that way. It's a lot. So so they have to reprogram themselves on even how to learn as opposed to being away from the computer, you know, instead of being away from the computer and being instructed by a teacher or some sort in the front, in front of them, where she's able to, she, he or she is able to do things live, you know, and in person, so to speak, and sort of uh, have the um, option of learning things on the fly as well, doing things on the fly. You really can't do things too much like that when you're online. You have to, you know, you have to kind of robot yourself a little bit as well. So, but again, pluses is that they're doing something, minuses are a lot. And, and what I fear is that our children won't get the benefit of really being promoted in a proper manner, meaning earning the promotion. Because right now, you really can't fail a kid. I mean, you can't. I mean, how can you? You know, I mean, how do you fail a kid that, that uh, parents may be suffering from COVID, and you know what I mean. They and, them, themselves might have had it. And who? That's that's a really uh, great point because uh, if you have a marginal kid, a kid that's been struggling, um, it, it, it's probably not doing a great service for that child if you pass them because of the situation, the climate we are in, and even before uh-huh. this. Speak to because I think we had this conversation before about uh, using. You know, I, I'm, I have a real issue with kids using calculators for math. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and not mm-hmm. counting, not writing things out. Like you said, I tell my kids all the time, write it mm-hmm. down, take notes. I, they can go into my studio, my, my, my office, and see nothing but notes. And I try to tell them, not only mm-hmm. take good notes, but make sure you have organized notes. So when you come back to it, mm-hmm. you know what it is. You put your name, date, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and some, mm-hmm. I, I see some of the kids that don't do that, but I get, I have a real issue when they use sort of these electronic things or things mm-hmm. that take away from counting and reading and all of these things, mm-hmm. audio and, and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Mm-hmm. Well, well I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to give you an analogy because I, I know you'll, you'll catch it. Well, I'm going to give you a saying. I'm going to give you an analogy. You know that, that was saying if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So we, so we understand that part. But now picture a person. That's a couch potato, straight up couch potato, remote in his hand, and beer in the other hand, eating chips, doing this for years, watching TV, you know, shape got different, what have you. Then you say, okay, I want you to get in shape, the best shape of your life within three weeks. But tonight we're going to start off with you running five miles. That person wouldn't. That person wouldn't walk good four blocks. I mean, five blocks really good, without him like, oh my gosh, I'm tired. And that's the same thing that's happening with our baby's brains because they're not using that part of the brain like you just mentioned. The all you're doing is pressing the button. You're not trying to figure things out in your head. You know what I mean? So you're not you're not exercising that part of the brain. And we know the brain is an organ, but it acts as a muscle. You might as well call it a muscle because it acts as like a muscle. But if you don't use certain things to critically think, um, conceptualize things, figure things out in your head, ponder over stuff, if you don't use that kind of that part of the brain, when it's time to use it, you, you 
please. I mean, think of how many people. I guarantee you, at your audience, if you ask them, if you have read a book, if you have, if you ask them, if they have read a book or a long article in a long time, and they if they're gonna do it before they go to sleep, if they read an article, I guarantee you they fall asleep before they do it because that brain ain't ain't being used. So now you're gonna tell me read all this. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Within a certain period of time, that brain is over. It's, it's, it gets overloaded, and then all of a sudden, it starts to shut down because you have to build it. You have to build it back up. And so, this is what's happening in LA with too many with too many of our children because they're so used to pressing buttons, pressing buttons, pressing buttons from video games to learning that when you tell them to do certain things, either they can't do it, they don't want to do it, or they don't know how to do it. So, guess what? It's not done. And my fear. I mean, I'm saying this. I'm saying this because my, my my son is 29 years old, so I'm 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 not a concerned parent for him, but I'm concerned parent for others. Because as an educator, every child that comes into your classroom or any class, any 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 of me when I go to schools, those children become my children, and I say it openly. I'm like, for for the for the time being, I'm here. You belong to me, That's right. and I treat them as they're my children. And so my fear is that. Because they took penmanship out of schools, you know, so you write, these kids don't know how to write cursively, nor can they read it. So, so I'll, I'll use the word script. They, not, not only can they not read in script, they can't, I mean, they can't write it. So they can't read it. So now you're telling the 18-year-old, 19-year-old, go register to do this, sign this application, go do this, and they say sign your name. He's writing in print. He's or she writing in print. And to be or not, the way they write, they're not even writing online. I mean, in other words, you, you tell the kid to write in print on the line, they're writing in between the line. And they're writing, I mean, they, they're putting their name, like, uh, they're writing across the line because they don't have a concept of writing, bro. That is, like, scary. Yeah. And that's happening worse for our black and brown babies than it is for other other children because other children, they, they, the ones that have the means to it, they're being taught how to write in script. Sure. So now, so education system, it seems, they seem to have... Put that on the parents, which is not fair. Not no no no. When I say fair, because that's a basic requirement. Writing, you know what I mean. That that should, that should be something that should be uh, uh, cataloged in schools on, on, and 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 should be progressed in schools because L.A. That's how we learn. You know what I mean. Our timetables, we did that in school. Right. Our, our writing, our penmanship. You know, writing between the lines. Our tracing. You know what I mean? We did that. We did that in school because although, it was part of our curriculum. Although I write like a doctor without the money, but I mean, sign. Like no, no, hey, 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 me too. <laughs> and here's the funny thing: me too, and I'm ambidextrous with it. I can write with both hands, left hand, right hand. I can do both, and I can write equally sloppy. So we're in the same boat. Yeah. I get that, but at the end of the day, my friend, we can read that. We well, and we can read some lots of slap, and we can read some lots of sloppy handwriting too, because right. we're accustomed to doing it. Right. You know what I mean? So, so, but, but again, our babies aren't getting that privilege, and and with that, they're gonna lose so much in this fake, illusion-filled digital-based world right. because it's, it's really an illusion. Yeah. It's an illusion, bro. It's yeah. an illusion. Talking these these smartphones have made, made us dumb. Talking with uh, Gerald Hoover, best-selling author of My Friend, My Hero, a book targeting young black and brown boys ages 12 and up, here on the Bachelor News Radio Show, Bachelor News Radio Network and WCOM, Chapel Hill and Carborough, uh, uh, North Carolina, and we'll get to the, the book series and info there. Um, really sort of the final uh, phase, and I know you said there's the positives because they're doing something, but again, um, the concern I have is that 
even before the virus, even before they had to go online, and some are going back to school in certain places, and, I mean, you can get into if it's safe or not. That's a whole different discussion for another day. Um, but the fact is that, you know, it, kids, even before the virus, and I, and I have to, again, I challenge mine all the time, um, it, it, they work is not, it, I wouldn't say it was necessarily fun for us, but, mm-hmm. you know, we knew we had to do that, and we knew at the end of the day it was going to make us better. Even sometimes we mm-hmm. didn't feel like going to school. I tried to play hooky. My mother found out all the time, but I had to do what I had mm-hmm. to do. And it didn't seem mm-hmm. as forced on us as it is with kids. Kids like, okay, if you, you do this, you can play this, or you can go outside, and they push and they zooming through it. But at the same time, you want to tell them, no, take your time, because a lot of teachers say take your time, read the read the questions, you know, when you're taking a test. And it seems like these kids, our kids, are trying to zoom through a lot of the the work and they don't seem to get it. It's more robotic than Mm -hmm. consumption and understanding and comprehending it. You you buy Mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a fear. As a matter of fact, you said it eloquently, but you basically repeated what I was saying and the way I said it. When, these, when our babies get a certain age, they're not going to be able to function other than doing what they've known. It's almost like putting a, you know, you know they put the uh, blinds on horses, run that straight, run a straight line. They won't know how to do anything else. But oh, it's not, it's not set in stone this way. They won't be able to do it. And that's where too many of our child, children are going to fail. That's where they're going to fail because they won't have options on how to do things any other way. And that's going, that, and that's a criminal act, if you ask me. It's a criminal act. It's written because. I, and, and that's why I said fake, illusional, filled world, because you'll say, oh, no, he got a so-and-so on his test. But, yeah, he was pressing a button that you helped him press because you're trying to get that funding because the state mandated so-and-so and so-and-so, which the state has no – they have no clue what's going on on the ground. They're a bunch of bean counters and doing whatever they're doing. They have no clue or concept of what is done on the educational level, none, because if they did or if their children was in the belly of the beast – they wouldn't have that kind of. They wouldn't have that kind of outlook. And, 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 just to, been, and just to interrupt too, if they if our kids aren't learning, again, post uh, pre and post COVID nineteen, they're ready to mm-hmm. put them ready to put them on meds, you know, Ritalin and whatever, oh my it, it, whatever. Man, um, and, 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 and bro, in LA, I was I believe it or not pre COVID. As a matter of fact, you we've been discussing my, my book before COVID. Pre COVID, well, I started my curriculum. Two years ago, I mean, like getting it in stone. So I, I so I'm, I'm well ahead of the COVID part. I was yelling and screaming about in 25 years if we're not careful that we're gonna have an educational apocalypse. I was saying this for about two years now. Now it's probably gonna be closer than that because we're gonna lose two and a half years. Okay, this way for every child I was already behind, tack on two more years. They don't go. They're not gonna fail a kid. They're going to promote them socially. But think about the average 10th grader that's ready for college, getting ready for college in two years. They're going to be functioning on a sixth-grade reading level or sixth-grade sixth grade work level. So, so that so, means when they graduate high school and, and graduate to go to college, they're going to, they're going to, it's going to be a, very, a real challenge. So real, real quick, because we're running out of time, um, what would be some of the solutions you have you know, right now with COVID and, and moving forward? And please do. I'll let people know how they can get my friend, my hero, talk about the book and, and where they can find it. 
Sure. Well, I'll, I'll do that first because it's fresh in my head. Uh, my, my website is called The Hero Book Series. Right, theherobookseries.com. Um, for those that are educators or they want to uh, do some homeschool and help, help them enhance, you can order my book, and I will even let you know how to get the curriculum to go with it. Now, the curriculum, uh, it has a study, a study guide, which you have to write, read, uh, do some uh, uh, research to learn how to do words, how to put words together, context clues. I mean, it's, it's, it was the same thing you, you would happen in the school. Also have a teacher's edition to where you have the answers. So for you parents that have young children, okay, Johnny, do this, do this, do this. You as a parent, whether you've been to school lately or not, it's okay. You have the teacher's guide. You have the answers. The sentences, you have the answers, the, the, the multiple choice stuff, you have, the, you have all the answers. I even have a pretest. So you can say, here, Johnny, take this, and let me see how you can do with that. Then I have what's called a unit assessment. And I have answers for that as well. So you have a, Student Success Guide, you have a Teacher's Edition, and you have a Unit Assessment. So you have all those, and you're good. What I would suggest, put a physical book in your child's hand. E-learning is fine. I, my book is on tape now. It's coming out in about a month. I ain't have e-books, which, okay, I, I'm not really for them, but I know people, I don't want to read it like that. That's fine. But put a physical book in your hand. The five senses that we're blessed with are given to us for a reason. Putting a physical book in your hand speaks volumes to the mental, soul, mind, and body. There's a lot of – and go on YouTube and research touch on how the effects are of touching a book. Google that. Touch it, touching a book. Wow. How powerful. You start – your knowledge starts to your, – your knowledge starts, L.A., with just touching the book. It's powerful. I, 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 just, saw that, I just saw something like that the other day, and it's funny because I've been thinking about it. Because, you know, you know, I'll give you an example. Let me say this really quick. I'm going to show on time. In the, in the, in the Bible, I'm, I'm sorry, in, in church, people have told me – I remember old ministers were telling me, I would say, well, Elder so-and-so, what do I, learn, what do I read in the Bible? What should, what should I do? They, they, you know, they would tell me, say a prayer, put your hand on top of the Bible, and just open it. Meaning – I heard that meaning, before. You'll find it, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Ellie, Ellie, you know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. You know going there was something powerful about putting your mind right with it coming becoming one with the story that you're about to read and then opening the book deep with that's deep and, and so we keep giving these books these, 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 these digital books and everything you ain't helping these kids put a book in your hand put a physical book the five senses are, are given to us for a reason that's if right. you dummy us out with that we ain't gonna have them buddy we're gonna be ro- people are gonna be robots that's right it's not gonna work for us yeah it's not, and, not gonna work for us bro and the learning is is robotic at this point because of that come on man yeah you're right come you're on, absolutely man. right come on, man. Well, on, we, we're gonna, we can't afford that, bro. We can't. We can't. And you talk about apocalypse. Oh, my God. You, you, <sighs> you, on, being, you, you get your Negro Domus points because you have been talking about this for quite some time. So uh, I know that for a fact. Hoove, I love you, man. Appreciate you. Be safe. Uh, I'll talk too, with you very, very soon. We'll get you on next week and talk some you, more about this, okay? My pleasure, my brother. Take Be care. safe, man. All right, man.
Enjoy the rest of your time. We'll talk with you very soon.
like you're not for real You play with my emotions 